So, uh, where did you guys uh, start out at? Like, because you, you uh, it took you a couple hours to get here today. Where'd you, where'd you go? San Jose. So, because that's where the meet is. Yeah. So we're staying there because it's at Dan Green's, which is what Mountain View, right? That's the area, I think. Yeah, we're in Sunnyvale, which is about 10, 15 minutes from there. So what made you bad. decide to do a, a meet all the way uh, on the other side of the planet here? Because uh, Holly and I travel so much that that was the only one that fit the time frame that we yeah. actually had available. And uh, it was, you know, we don't mind traveling, but it was cool. more about the, the time period and less about, you know, distance. Cause what Fed is it? What federation? USAPL. Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah, so and she's never competed before? Never competed in powerlifting. Yeah. Is she relatively strong? Yeah, I mean, this will, she won't she won't hear this till it comes out. So I think she'll probably end up. You know, she's she's about sixty five, sixty six kilos. And I told her, don't diet for your first meet. Yeah. And Andres is coaching her. Hey, so. everybody, hear that? Don't diet for your first meet. Are we going? Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, I, was, gonna... I was just gonna call yeah. him out on it. Like she's gonna she's actually hearing it right now in the. Uh... The, oh yeah, the, she might. Yeah, she might yeah. be hearing it right now. Oh really? <laughs> We're live, yeah. Oops. Live on. Uh, Sorry, honey. Uh, live on YouTube. <laughs> the good thing. It's a good thing we got all the shit talking yeah, out good, before good, the before the good, podcast started. It's a good thing you didn't say anything too negative. <laughs> That's right. No, but I mean, you know, everybody. The first time they they do a meet, they go, "Oh well, I could get the next weight class down." And she actually was pretty okay with because at sixty three, yeah. she would feel pretty crappy because yeah. she's pretty darn lean at sixty three. Um, she's pretty darn lean at sixty six, but um, I think she'll probably you know, end up squatting somewhere in the high twos, mm-hmm. um, benching 160s to 170 and, nice. and, and deadlifting over 300. So, you yeah. know, for her first meet, she'll, you know, that'll be over a 700 pound total, which is really respectable for how is for she, her How is she liking uh, powerlifting so far? Uh, she she, like she really enjoys the, the technical aspects of it. You know, she likes, um, she was a sprinter uh, growing up and she was actually very successful. She went to the junior world games. Have you ever raced her before? No, <laughs> I like to keep my ego intact. Yeah, you know? I blow out your hamstring. Right? Yeah, yeah. No, you know, I I know I'm good at a few things, science and lifting things in a straight line. Yeah. Uh, but you know, she kind of she has done very well in uh, physique competition. She won uh, PNBA, which is the like the natural Olympia and natural universe, and she won uh, two time world champion there. Um, like pretty much just decided to do it one day, and within within less than a year, she was a world champion. Right. Um. But she doesn't, she likes the training that goes into that, but doesn't like the competition day. She mm. doesn't like, you know, getting all the makeup on and, and getting yeah. hair done and then only just to kind of stand there on stage. There's no like actual performance, right. you know? So she likes the idea of actual doing something athletic on the day of the meet. See, and I like that. I like just putting on high heels and a skin little outfit. <laughs> yeah, of course. And uh, getting all the makeup on and getting all who tan, doesn't? but I don't like the training for it. Yeah, who doesn't? Who doesn't want to look good with nothing in, nothing involved? <laughs> but uh, <clears throat> no, she's enjoyed it. It's just been, she's kind of gotten that, the real powerlifting experience where she's experiencing some of those soft tissue injuries. And, yeah. you know, the hard part of powerlifting is, you know, she, she kind of looked at it as she has a very high work capacity and she will crush people in the gym in terms of like training very intensively. And she kind of looked at me and she said, well, you're just doing one rep or two reps or three reps. But she's finding out now is like to get yourself to the point where you can do that, like requires a lot of energy and focus. Yeah. And also to keep yourself intact. It's almost like there's a conditioning associated to strength too. Yeah. And also keeping yourself just intact, you know, like she's had some hip flexor issues and some yeah. lower back issues and just keeping yourself intact, uh, you know, that requires, you know, an hour of rehab and prehab work every single day. It's tedious, and it, isn't it? It sucks. Like I, I'm talking about now coming back from my back injury because I've been working with uh, Dr. Stu McGill and Brian yeah. Carroll 
as well as Andres. Your back and, injury was uh, like catastrophic, right? I mean, it was a this is a huge deal. It, well, it was it incapacitated me for for a few days. Now the injury itself actually isn't that bad. It's it, you know, uh, and McGill said he's like you know your back You're just is a actually wimp? Is that what... <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's the location where it is the, the bulge disc where it is. You know, yeah. um, when a bulge disc. I like that word bulge. Yeah, me too. Of course. <laughs> That's a, um, when a when a bulge disc flares, it basically locks you up. Mm. You know. And what he was describing, because I didn't have any radiating pain. I didn't have anything like that. It was just all localized in my lower back. But when it was flared up, I, you know, um, what had happened was I kind of tweaked it around Thanksgiving a little bit on a deadlift. And then um, I definitely re-aggravated on a pause squat about three weeks later. And then the next day I had my kids and I was kind of like picking them up and putting them down and picking them up and putting them down. And by that night, I, I couldn't even hardly move. And... Uh, I got up to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night and I got halfway around the bed and Holly had to come get me because mm -hmm. I just, I could not move. Like I, and she had to help me right. like the rest of the day. So I had to go get a cortisone shot just because I couldn't even work. Like I was just laying there on the steroids, ground. Does that kick you out of the USAPL? <laughs> <laughs> no, those are catabolic steroids. They're, they're fine with that. But, um, no, I, I couldn't even move, you know? So, so, but on a more legitimate uh, question, do they, can an athlete have a cortisone shot and compete? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Now you could argue about, yeah, there's, yeah. A, there's the monster going, um, you can argue about, you know, isn't that performance enhancing? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and, and yes, like, right, right. you know, you got guys getting cortisone shots in right. NFL right before they yeah, get and out. Are you going to lift more? And uh, you can potentially say, yeah, you'll lift a lot more because you're not as in much pain. Right. Right. So. Right. So, but the rules are it's legal. It's a catabolic steroid. Mm -hmm. So you're not building muscle with it. Uh, you're actually yeah. breaking down tissue with it, right. inflammation. But, um, you know, I had to get that because I couldn't move. And I was looking at it like, and my insurance didn't cover it. It was 600 bucks. So I'm kind of like, I'm a, I'm kind of a tight ass. So I don't like spending money, no. but I'm like, I can't. Don't say that about yourself. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I, but I can't, you know, I'm sitting there. Well, if I can't work, you know, $600 is going to go really fast in terms of what I could make just being able to work. Right. So. But, you know, in terms of when McGill saw me, and for those of you who don't know, Dr. Stu McGill is kind of renowned as like the back guru. Yeah, what, like 30, the, 40 years or Yeah, and like he's, that. he's I mean, published tons yeah. of studies and worked with many, many high-level athletes, including, you know, Brian Carroll had a horrific back injury. Like yeah. if you read The Gift of Injury, which is Brian and Stu's co book they co-wrote, Brian, like in the book, talks about how he was ready to like having suicidal thoughts because yeah. he was like this high-level powerlifter. I think he was the first guy to squat over a thousand at, at two forty-two. Yeah, probably. Um, I mean, he 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 did some crazy stuff. He's I definitely squatted over eleven hundred too. I mean, he was yeah. insanely strong. And he and he I think he squatted over a thousand pounds in competition more times than anybody in the history of powerlifting. Yeah, I wouldn't doubt it. He like was fifty a times very or something. Athlete. So, but he had like when they got the, the when Stu looked at his MRI. He had multiple disc herniations. He had, he had in-plate fractures at every single vertebra. Wow. And I he think had, he sent, I think he showed me a picture of it. It was yeah. just crazy. And he had split his sacrum, you know, like he'd actually had, a, he had broken sacrum. Yeah. He had a broken back, you know? That's crazy. And, um, so he, so his was much worse. And in fact, he went to Stu and was like, I'm, I'm being upfront with you. I want to compete again. And Stu was like, let's see if we can get you pain free first, mm. you know? And then if that's there and then. A year later, Brian was squatting a thousand pounds again. Pain-free you know? is something like, it's a key word. You know, I think yeah. that as powerlifters, we just, we're like, yeah, we should be in pain. Um, we should have discomfort, but we shouldn't yeah. have a lot of pain. And sometimes, yeah, you're going to have, uh, your knee's going to be inflamed, your elbow, yeah. your shoulder, but like, it shouldn't be a lot of pain. I always try to 
encourage people that if your pain level is above a three on a scale of one to 10, then start to look into other exercises, start to try to figure out how to rehab or prehab that, that area. Cause you don't want to end up in these situations yeah, Brian's when you can't, when you can't lift, um, you know, all of us, we like to joke around about lifting and we like to, you know, have fun while we're lifting and everything, but we don't understand like how much it really means to us. Oh yeah. It like, like, it defines you in a lot of ways. Yeah. I mean, I'm, you know, not to, I'm glad I have an academic background to fall back on because I still have a little bit of an identity. Yeah. But yeah, if you, if you're just known for you lift big heavy weights and that's how you make your living too. I mean, plus, you know, like in this industry, people will forget about you like that. Like yeah. I had six months where I kind of was dealing with a lot of stuff and it was like the, the, how fast things went away. It was incredible. You know, but, um, I mean, I have so, to have, I have to have uh, flashback videos pop up here and there just to communicate that with people, Yeah, you know, because, you know, nowadays on Instagram, there's a lot of people, um, you know, and it's like, I guess you want to kind of show people, uh, what makes you, a, an expert in this particular area? Like what, you know, what's your background type of thing. And I feel it's important to show people those thousand eighty squats and 854 yeah. bench. And it's important for you to show people that you were, um, second in the world at the uh, at the biggest powerlifting meet that they they have yep uh the most prestigious powerlifting meet that there is yeah you were second in the world and on top of that you got a phd and you got a lot of other good things going for you and there, there's not a lot of people in the industry that are like that oh, i like this so far it's like really pumping me up here you know, this <laughs> well, is good. well we'll get to some harder <laughs> stuff here in a second oh is it gonna be harder <laughs> hey now hey now <laughs> so last time you were and we'll just go right here last time you were here uh from the last time you were here, a lot of things have changed. Yep. So let's uh, let's talk about that a little bit in whatever manner you want to sure. take the mic and talk about it. Yeah. Well, I mean, went through a divorce. Um, you know, that's of all the things I've gone through in my life. That now, it was at the end of the day, I it was my call. Um, and you know, it's tough because with kids and all yeah. that all that sort of stuff. Yeah, it makes um, it brutal. Yeah, it makes it very very difficult. You know. And, uh, even though that was my call, it was still one of the hardest things I've ever been through. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's just, and then, uh, I, I lost two businesses inside of a month. Uh, one was just, um, kind of, you know, my, this my is all while you're hurt too, right? That was all during injury. Yeah. yeah. So it was like, I think like I ended up looking it up like, like three or four out of the like 10 most stressful things you can have go on in your life all happen at the same time. Yeah. So but you know what? It, I talked to, I think the, the podcast we called it last time was like the common denominator is you, I think. Mm -hmm. in the end of, in the, at the end of the day, I had some stuff happen to me that was bad and a little bit outside my control in some ways, but it right. was still my fault because like with the business stuff, I had certain things that happened in my life and I don't want to go too specifically into things, um, but I kind of just said, these will get better. These will get better. These will get better. And I just assumed that things would get better. And things don't get better if you don't put energy into them. You know what I right. mean? And I created that situation where things, bad things could happen to me. And so at the end of the day, it was still my fault, you know? Mm. And, um, but man, have I learned a shitload. <laughs> what do you I mean, think the major common denominator was? I mean, obviously you're saying that you take responsibility. Um, but like, you know, what did you learn from that experience? What is some, some things that you could have done better, uh, all around through the business, through the marriage, through everything? Great, great question. So first off, like knowing myself better, like we talk about that, but most people don't even really know themselves that yeah. well. 
um, in terms of what makes them tick. Like what makes you, if I go up and say, what makes you happy? Most people don't know that or they can't, or they can't uh, vocalize that to you very well, right? right? You just know sometimes you're happy and sometimes you're not. And no, not like the, the, you had a car accident or something right. like that and you're unhappy because that happened. That's a acute thing, right? That's like an acute injury versus chronic pain, right? right? So, um, you know, really what, well, I had a, I have a, a therapist named Patty who I've worked with for, for two years. And one of the things she kept telling me, and I didn't listen, she was like, you are screwing up because you're, you're not investing in yourself. You've spent time investing in a lot of other people. Mm. You've stopped investing in yourself. You stopped, um, you stopped trying to focus on really self-improvement. And my thing would always be like, well, I don't have time. Like, where am I going to get this time? Because I'm, I'm trying to be a dad and I'm trying to do this and I'm trying to do that. And she goes, no, you're screwing all that stuff up because you're not focusing on yourself. Mm. You're not focusing on what makes you tick and what was makes that, you happy. I'm sorry, I did you say that was a therapist or that was a friend? Therapist slash life coach. Okay. Um, and, you know. By the it, way, going to see a therapist doesn't make you a weirdo or a freak. I highly recommend it to a lot of people because... There's just, there's stuff that's hard to figure out on your yeah. own, and it's like it's just not any different than if you hurt your shoulder or you hurt your back, uh, like you reached out to Doctor Stuart McGill. Yeah, reach out to somebody that can help you. Yeah, well, I mean, don't be like, scared of that. I wasn't going to a therapist because I was depressed or anything like that. Right. I'm I'm just, I think I'm a pretty resilient person, and and Holly has mentioned this. Um, I don't really get depressed. Like even when things were really bad, I wouldn't say I was depressed. I would still get up and. Not always every day, but I would still mostly have a positive view of, okay, this is, this is bad, but it's going to work itself out, right. you know? Um, and just like, I, like, part of it is just as cheesy as it sounds, I would just get up every day and tell myself, like literally, literally talk to myself and like, you're going to get through this. You're going to get through this. It's, it's, you're going to get on the other side of it eventually. So right now it's important just to keep the, keep, keep your feet churning, right? Like right. a running back who hits four different guys, like keep your feet churning because mm. you get through it, you know? Um, but yeah, like I don't have any shame in admitting that, you know, I sought out therapy. Um, right. cause it was like, I just, I, you know, I didn't have a lot of relationships growing up. Um, I was outcasted by my peers quite a bit. So I, I didn't really understand how to, to, you know, we, we actually talked about this in the car. I'm somebody who I meet somebody and I immediately think that everybody's a good person right. and everybody is, is cool and is going to have my best interest. I'm a very empathetic person. So like if somebody around me is unhappy, I'll end up kind of getting unhappy by just association. So like, I always want to try and help people be happy as weird yeah. as that sounds. And that's a problem in of itself. And I've had to get better about, okay, just cause somebody around you is unhappy doesn't mean you can't be happy. And that, that's been a difficult thing, but like, I never knew those things about myself and right. just sometimes you can't see the, the picture cause you're in the frame. Mm. And that's what a therapist really helped me with was kind of saying, no, I think this is what helps you tick, right? Like this is what makes you, you, these are your core values and this is what makes you happy and going, oh shit, I never really, never really thought about it that way, you know? But, um, yeah, to go through all that stuff and then the injury, like Exercise for me is so, such medicine. I could be going through like the worst thing in the world. How about your food and stuff at that time? You just kind of throw things out the window a little bit too because you're just like, you know, kind of almost like, you know, because you're not training. And if anything, I tend to undereat when mm. I'm, when I'm stressed, right. you know? Um, but no. That happens I, a lot with divorce. A lot of people. Oh yeah. Like, lose just don't weight. Eat, just don't eat yeah. at all. 
Um, I, you know, I still would say that I was, I wouldn't say I was like diligently tracking, but I always have, I always have a pretty good mental clock of what I'm eating. So I really pretty much maintained my weight. You know, my body composition got worse, <laughs> yeah. but, um, you know, I kind of got, I did nationals last year and ended up getting seventh because I just, my last eight weeks of training were just garbage. Mm. You know, normally like when I'm getting ready for a big meet, I'm every day I'm going to go into the gym. I'm looking at my workout I have to do and I'm already visualizing. I'm thinking about what I'm going to do. I'm thinking about the weights I'm going to use. I didn't even look at the workout until I got in there. Time yeah, that, yeah. Exactly. Or just like you've only got so many spoons and so much mental capacity. Like right. this was, this never became more apparent to me until this past year when I had to like think about like, where is my time going to go? Right. Like to realize how finite it really is. And, um, yeah. So, and then I dealt with like, I tweaked my lower back before nationals. Um, I tweaked my pec. That's what actually really ended up limiting me was I took basically a token bench, but, um, you know, uh, it, it really made me realize like how much things can come together too. Cause a week out, I barely pulled 585. Mm. Like I missed it once and then I went back and pulled it and then, uh, went in and pulled a PR at nationals, you know, and squatted. I got, I got called on depth first time ever, 655. Uh -oh. But if you go back and check the tape, I still think it was a good lift, but I wasn't real upset about it because, you know, it's a close call. It happens right. fast. When some judges some... aren't perfect. I yeah. don't think anybody had it out for me. It's just, right. you know, if you go back and slow down something and freeze frame something, sure, you can see where somebody's hip crease is, but in the, in the actual moment, you know, but I was still happy that I squatted 655 down to depth, mm -hmm. you know, it was only 13 pounds off my best after yeah. the back injury. And then it was like, all right, went back down the rabbit hole again after that. And, you know, it's like, not only is it tough dealing with injury and everything else that's going on, but now you have people, you know, and it's, it's my choice to put my life out there. Right. right? And you got to take the good with the bad. Yeah. Why so. did you make the choice to, uh, share your divorce with people? I think you posted on Facebook and stuff, right? Yeah. So, uh, my ex kind of made things public that I had had an affair mm -hmm. and, um, you know, and that, that's her right to do that. You so know, then you I thought know. I should speak on well, my own behalf. I, I honestly, I had wanted to say something about it for a long time. Um, but I kind of like, Didn't it's one of those drag things. her into it and all that kind of stuff. Well, there. it's, it's like, I'm a pretty transparent person, you know, like I'll just kind of talk to you yeah. about anything. Um, but it was like, my kids are going to see that one day. So do I really want to put that out there? Yeah. But then it went out there and it was kind of like, well, you know, at least want to show them. And some people will disagree with it. Why are you putting your personal stuff out there? And I get that. I get that, mm -hmm. you know. That yeah, um, makes sense. Yeah. But I, either way, it makes sense. But I, I, you know, I want my kids to be able to see one day, okay, dad fucked up, but dad took responsibility for it. Right. Dad said it was his fault. Right. Dad, you know, and then tried to be a good dad, you know, like I've actually really worked on being a better dad. That's and I great. ain't, I ain't, I don't want to say I'm great. I don't want to say I'm perfect. <laughs> Fatherhood didn't come naturally to me. Yeah. You know, it was like, I was still so focused on my goals, but I'm better now than I was you yeah. know, a couple of years ago. I think and, men uh, go through, uh, crazy transitions in being a dad. It's a, it's, it's a, hard. It's a, it's a wild thing. It actually, it sounds kind of silly, but I didn't really feel a, a great attachment to my children until they were about five. Yeah. Neither did I. Like how, how crazy does that sound? That doesn't sound right. It sounds wrong. Right. But yeah. But, but, that, but that's being honest. You right. Know? But, but a woman, I mean, because it grows inside them right. and everything, uh, you know, they have 
just these instincts that are just different than uh, than what we have. But once once the kid's able to talk, and once the kid's going to school, and once the kid's not shitting itself anymore, <laughs> uh, things uh, things really change. I'll also comment too, like um, not to ever justify anything that you did, but as you become like more popular, um, as you get like even just a little bit of fame, more people become interested in you. Yeah. And you've, you've worked with a lot of clients, both yep. male and female. Yep. And, uh, you know, as soon as that door gets cracked, yep. it's, it's going to get all the way opened up yep. and it happens. It yep. happens to a lot of people, yep. you know, so you're not the only one. It happens, you know, it happens very frequently. Go, go and look at, uh, People Magazine. Right. Yeah. And everybody thinks all these people are happy because they're wealthy and because they're famous. No, it's they have a lot of other more money, more problems. Man. Yeah, they have a lot of other issues that they've yeah. had to deal with. And it, you know, and it, uh, it all takes time. You mentioned, um, you know, kind of wanting to do something. You wish you did something differently. What do you wish that you did differently? If you don't mind sharing. Uh, as far as that goes, I wish that I, if I was, had been unhappy and knew that I didn't want to be in the relationship anymore, that I just would have gotten out. Yeah. And, but it's. You How know, fucking you, hard is that? You know what I mean? Like, well, yeah. but, I mean, you've got yeah. you've got kids. Yeah, you've got uh, society's judgment. You got right. your parents' judgment. That kind of stuff. Not that my parents are lovely people, um, but you know, it's hard. Like, and it's yeah, no it's, one would understand that. Uh, that would be just as devastating, probably, and in some way. You know, some things that you know, like I know better now what makes me tick. Um, and you know, sometimes you, you when you learn that. Some people can grow together. Some people can grow apart, but mm -hmm. it doesn't justify anything like, but I had just, again, I don't want to sound like I'm trying to justify things because at the end of the day, one of the things I learned is there is no justification for that. It's that, you know, just because it's hard to get out of a relationship doesn't mean you shouldn't just do it when it's time. Right. But, um, I just didn't have any relationships. Like my, my ex-wife was, uh, first person I ever dated for more than five months, right. you know? So it was just, um. You know, that's the but, advice uh, in Little Miss Sun Sunshine. Remember that movie, Andrew? I remember no. the movie. I don't remember the advice. Little Miss Sunshine, <laughs> the uh, grandpa. It's a good movie. The grandpa tells uh, the little kid in the, in the back seat of the van. They're on it. They're like traveling across the across the uh, United States or whatever. And he goes, "I got advice for you." The kid's probably like eleven years old, right? <laughs> he goes, "Fuck a lot of women." <laughs> And and the parents start screaming at him. He's like, "Fuck a lot of women." He just. <laughs> He's like that. That'll make everything later on in life uh, a lot better. But you know, it is it is important probably to get some of it out of your system before you get. Yeah, I, you know. I I I didn't. You know, I've very yeah. I definitely. I know some people would probably look at oh, this guy had yeah. an affair. He probably out banging a bunch of fitness chicks. Right, right, right. No, like yeah. It's, Men are it's a very 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 short short list. Men are ticking time bombs, and we don't have much control over. <laughs> yeah well i mean what we're doing sometimes you know like uh, my friend paul he was like uh, paul was saying something one time and i didn't quite understand at the time he was like nobody should get married before age 30 i'm like well, what, what do you mean he's yeah. like you don't know yourself you don't know what you yeah, like that's a good you know? point but that that being said yeah, some how people, different are you going to be at, at 20 versus 40 and some right people now? grow apart some people grow together some yeah. people grow apart you know and um but you know what i think um one of the things that taught me too was I was always a very judgmental person. No, I don't want to say very judgmental person. Um, but I would look at something that happened and go, oh, I would never do that. Yeah. You, you do not know. 
until you're in a certain situation, you have no idea yeah. how you would act. And that goes for drug abuse. Uh, Absolutely. It goes for anything. That you, anything Absolutely. that you see, you're not like, oh, that person's a dirtbag. Why are they doing that? Now you're kind of like, well, maybe they fell into some bad circumstances. I had family members, direct family members very close to me who struggled with drug addiction. You know, yeah. uh, it didn't make them bad people. They made some bad choices, you yeah. know, but it doesn't make them bad people. You know, I think, I, I tend to be of the opinion now, I think most people are at the core trying to do their best and we just fuck stuff up sometimes, <laughs> yeah. you know? I don't think, yeah. you know, when, when people, people always want to make it like black and white, you know, they want somebody to be at fault and somebody to be the good guy. And like people can make bad choices, but I think, you know, when it comes to relationships, whether it's friendships or it's marriage or it's boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever it is, like it's a big gray area, man. And, um, you know, but I think some of my, like my penance was like having to be humbled a little bit and say, oh no, like you don't know what you would do unless you were in a certain situation. But, you know, you try to learn from those sorts of things. So, you know, I can tell you why I never want to go through that again. Right. And hell no. You know, like I, I just, I think, you know, you know, you try to find th things that are painful in your life. You learn and grow from them. Right. You know, and I did that and i I learned a lot with relationships and business over the past year. You know, some things I never want to go through again. And, uh, you know, hopefully that'll serve me well in the future. Yeah. I think it was also like. Learn and grow. Yeah. Well, it was good in a way growing up. And I talked about this, about like getting bullied so much. I think it made me a little bit resilient um, because a lot of like, you know. Uh, like Holly bully bullied, like beat up oh, bullied. A Got little, a wedgie a little like bit that. of that, but more like, <laughs> it, more like emotional stuff. Yeah. You know. Mm. And, um, you know, uh, Holly and I are watching a, a show on Netflix called 13 Reasons Why. I just started it. Yeah. It's so <laughs> like, like having a daughter and seeing some of that stuff, man, it's so like. I have a nine-year-old it's tough, and it's terrifying. It's tough to watch. Mm -hmm. It's tough to watch. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they cover some really tough topics, rape, sexual abuse. Wow. Um, I wouldn't be able to watch it. Bullying, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, um, <sighs> you know, it's hard to watch, yeah. you know. I mean, there's some funny parts in it too. It's a yeah, really yeah. good show, but it like, it like there's certain parts where you're like, fuck. Child um, abuse and rape. I, I just, I fuck. It's hard to watch, man. Yeah. But you know, it's like, uh, watching that, like some kids just, people go, oh, well it's just bullying. Like that's just kids being kids. No, it like that shit fucks kids up. Yeah. Like, like I know it still affects me later in life sometimes. Like I don't handle criticism real well. And part of that's probably from being bullied when I was younger, you know? Um, that's why you get into Twitter fights. <laughs> <laughs> I just enjoy Twitter fights with, with, with people who like to speak. I'm God, I got one the other day with a ophthalmologist who wants to speak authoritatively on nutrition. I'm like, I have DR in front of my name. Are you cool with me coming and giving somebody an eye exam? Like, why do you think you can do this with nutrition? You know? But, um, yeah, like I know that stuff still affected me later in life, but some kids don't make it out of that. I mean, every, every week it seems like there's another kid who like takes their own life because, yeah. and I want to, I want to just say to him, like, it's like, it's okay. You're going to get through it, you know, but like some people aren't as resilient, but I think at least me well, having that. Also, some people don't have, uh, they don't have parents. They don't have any, they yeah, don't have anybody. They you know, I got nobody there. No and, one there to believe in them at all. Right. You know? And while my peers were were pretty rejective towards me. At least I had my parents. My parents were enormously supportive people, yeah. you know, and if, you, if I, but if I didn't have that, who knows, you know, right. like if you don't have your parents to tell, you no, you're, you're awesome. You're worthwhile, you know, mm -hmm. like that sort of stuff. Hey, your parents um, will point out all the things you're good at. 
Yeah. They're like, you're really smart. You're really yep. this, you're really that. But you're like, I'm a nerd. I'm going to beat up. <laughs> well, but you know, what I try to tell kids now, because I'll, I'll talk to a few kids, is is what makes you different is going to make you successful in the future. Yeah. Like that's that's actually like the stuff that you're being mocked for now, all that stuff is good shit. Like that's yeah, all going to be good. Was, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, with his accent and with the mm-hmm. space between his teeth and how big and jacked he was in the movies. Yeah. And they're like, you know, you got all these things, his long name, you got all these mm-hmm. things working against you. And then he's got the most famous saying in the history of uh, mm-hmm. movies saying, I'll be back. But yeah. it wouldn't have worked the same way without no, that accent. No. Right? Without the gap in the teeth. That's yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> to cement no. everything. But what a, yeah. I tell people like, you, you may or may not like Arnold or whatever, but you have to respect that man. Oh, yeah. Like, you want to talk about somebody who did more than where he came from. It's incredible. Yeah. Incredible. Coming from a different country, being the governor of the largest state. Of right. the United, that's incredible. You so know? you you were you and mentioned... would have been president if we had different laws. Oh yeah, no, he <laughs> would one hundred percent been president. Oh, there's absolutely no question. Uh, you mentioned a couple things in there. You mentioned uh, you know things uh, being black and white towards being like good or bad, and uh, you also mentioned uh, casting judgment. And I think uh, a lot of judgments placed on people when they're heavy. Yeah, you know, a lot of judgment. You know, there's a lot of fat shaming, right? There's a lot of people in this country that are that are obese. They have diabetes. They have uh, many different things going on. And, and what I usually say is like, just like drug addiction and just like, uh, your situation, a lot of these things are like half your fault. And maybe, maybe there's a half that's like kind of not, cause mm-hmm. there's a lot of, when it comes to food anyway, or, or drugs or alcohol, there's a ton of temptation mm-hmm. being thrown at you all the time. A lot of people have more anxiety and more depression, uh, than we've ever dealt with, uh, before. And it's easy to, it's easy to kind of slip on the banana peel and, and not, not know how to get back up again, you know, and it's, it's easy to kind of fall into these situations. Um, and you also mentioned like, you know, things, uh, you know, when you said things being black and white, what, what are some things that are black and white in nutrition? Is there anything, is there any common ground? Like, you know, uh, you got the calorie thing, right? It's not a calorie. It's not a calorie. A calorie is a calorie. Uh, you got, you know, one it's guy, not, but it is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, right. It's you got one guy. It's complicated. So <laughs> if I, if I make the statement, if I say, um, uh, you know, something, something along the lines of, uh, that calories can be a somewhat inaccurate measure of really the actual energy that we're utilizing is, would that be a correct statement? Uh, yes and no. So the, the <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so the, the problem is, is yes, you are, you are correct. So like, for example, if you look at protein versus carbohydrate or fat, protein has a 30% higher thermic effect of food, right? So it takes you more energy to so metabolize and utilize basically that. doesn't yield the four calories that are associated with it. Maybe it's something correct. slightly different, right? Correct. So, and I talk about this in my, uh, my book, actually, shameless plug. What's the book? Um, so my book is called the, uh, the complete contest prep guide. So I kind of, um, not to get too far into that rabbit hole, I'll talk about it a little bit later, but I wrote this book out of desperation because I just lost two businesses and I had no way to make money. So, yeah. but it turned into a labor of love. That's great. Um, and I wanted to come up with the most complete uh, contest preparation guide for uh, bodybuilding because that's what I've done is coach bodybuilding and powerlifting for, for 15 years. And a 265 page book that's, that's, I'm very, very proud of, of all the things I've done in business, the thing I'm most proud awesome. of. Um, but I talk about it in the book of, you know, calories still matter. It, it is. So people get the misnomer that they say, well, I ate in a deficit and I didn't lose weight. So, you know, calories in versus calories out doesn't work. That's not true. If you, it, 
you weren't in a deficit <laughs> because it is energy balance. Like to lose weight, it's just a simple physics thing. You have to expend more than you take in. Why do we sometimes get people that will say, um, you know, I went on a keto diet and when I was in ketosis, I had 4,000 calories and I was still losing weight. They I just would, don't know what they're talking about. I would like to see, uh, diet logs. Right, right, right. You know, like there's, there's, there's certain people who, again, we've talked about this. I have a hard time selling what I'm selling because I'm saying it's pretty complicated, uh, energy systems, you know, this is what we think works. And, you know, I'm, I'm not making broad sweeping statements. Mm. Whereas when some people just point out one thing is th this is the bad guy, right? That's a little bit easier to sell. So People, especially on YouTube now, it's a, we have a whole industry of people that are trying to get noticed, right? Mm -hmm. And and it's kind of like everybody, hey, look, look at me, look at me, look at me, um, just to make a living, right? We got to make a living. So, um, you know, people, and I'm not saying that this is always the case, but people will come up, oh, I lost four, weight on 4,000 calories on a keto diet. Mm -hmm. Is it possible? It's possible. Do I necessarily believe it? Not necessarily. Um, but... Like I'll, I will believe that some people can lose weight on 4,000 calories. The evidence we have suggests that if you are equating protein and calories, that your ratio of carbohydrate to fat doesn't really make much of a difference in fat loss. So what that says to me is if you like more fats, eat more fats and less carbs. Mm -hmm. If you like more carbs, eat more carbs and less fats. Or if you find that certain foods are trigger foods for you, then try to shy away from those and, and work up a diet that's more constructive towards you personally. Now, that being said, when you're looking at scientific data, you're looking at means, right? Those are what's reported. So you're looking at averages. And you have people that sit outside the average. You have outliers. You know, 2.5% of the population is going to be outliers. So while, you know, I'm a science-based coach, I always start people off kind of, okay, generally what does science say that this is the best approach or this might be the most reasonable but I always try to pay attention and understand the fact that they could be outliers. And so I heard something great from Greg Knuckles the other day. Do you know Greg? Absolutely. Greg Knuckles is a beast. Yes. And Love brilliant. Very yeah, brilliant. He's, yeah, he's insane. So Greg smart. said Greg said something. He said, Sciencey science bros, the people who just read abstracts, make the mistake of thinking that because something was best for the average, it will be best for the individual. And bros make the mistake of thinking because something worked best for them, it'll work best for everybody. They're both errors. So we need to understand that we probably should start at what the average response is, what, what seems to work well for the average, but then understand that that's not going to work well for everybody. And so I've kind of gone from being somebody who was, when I was younger, being a bro, kind of mm -hmm. saying, okay, well, this worked for me. It should work for you to going more towards sciencey science, bro, of, oh, this is what the study says. And so we need to do it just this way to kind of going back a little bit to the middle of saying, okay, science is helpful, but coaching is an art form and you need to be willing to step outside that box of what a scientific study says. Um, but in terms of energy balance, that is a pretty clear, what's not complicated is you need to expend more energy than you take in to lose weight. What is complicated is what makes up those systems. Mm. So if we look at energy balance and I did a YouTube video series on this, Energy balance is how much you take in versus how much you output. How much you take in is simple. It's how many calories you ate. Now, there's your resting metabolic rate, thermic effective food, meat, non-exercise uh, adaptive thermogenesis, and then your exercise 
Those are the calories you burn per day. Those are the kind of the four systems. So if one method of weight loss is causing people to lose more weight with same total calories, then they're affecting one of those systems, right? So we know a higher protein diet, you lose more weight on retain more lean body mass. And that is be probably because one, you're having a, a beneficial effect on protein turnover. And two, you're, you're, uh, it's impacting the thermic effect of food, right? But we can still point to one of those systems and, and say which one it changed. So when people kind of do a, a hand-waving argument of, well, what about insulin? What about this? What about that? Well, if it really makes a difference, it has to affect one of those systems. It's going to show up in one of those systems anyway. So when it comes down to, and we've talked about keto diets, high-protein diets, and we, you can go back in some of our old podcasts and, and listen to those. And what I'll tell people is like, I have no problem with a keto diet. As long as somebody understands that, okay, well, they're going to kind of have to make that a lifestyle, that that needs to be a lifestyle. And so if the diet, my, I'm, I'm a scientist, but I'm also a pragmatist. If the diet you're on, if you can't see yourself dieting that way, you know, months and years into the future, then the research says that you're probably going to regain all the weight you lose, if, if not more. Right. So find something that, you know, allows you to create that, that beneficial energy balance in terms of like, if you want to lose weight, because obviously some people want to gain muscle and want to be in a positive right. energy balance. But if you want to lose weight, something that allows you to be in that, that, that negative energy balance to get to your goal and then maintain that. And actually the research says that weight loss is, is not that difficult. It's actually weight maintenance. That's very hard. Yeah. I mean, in this country, um, I, I think they, they had some ridiculous number. I can't remember the exact percentage, but it was somewhere in the neighborhood of like 70% of Americans have lost weight before oh, yeah. 20 pounds or more. Six. And so, so losing weight is not really the huge problem. It's kind of staying there, right? Six of out of every seven overweight or obese people will lose at least 10% of their body weight in their lifetime. Um, they will regain it within one year, 70% will have regained it within two years. It's 85% within three years, it's 95%. And of those people, one third to two thirds will add more weight than they lost anyway. Do you think if we were able to attack this at a much younger age, um, that we wouldn't need any sort of extremes? I think obesity and being overweight, I think it is such a multifactorial, um, there's, there's physiological aspects to it. There's sociological aspects to it. There's psychological aspects mm. to it. Um, it's just very, a very it's complicated issue. Fucking deep, yeah. Right? Because it's, it's, you know, some people will say, well, it's just psychology, right? People have bad relationship with food. If we could just correct that. Well, no, there's also physiological things that go on. But one thing I can tell you is, you know, you can argue epigenetics, but our, you know, obesity is a new thing. It's in the last 70 years, really. Um, our genetics didn't change that drastically in 70 years. So uh, one thing my PhD advisor said that I always really liked, that I thought was a great statement, he said, um, genetics loads the gun for obesity, but behavior is what pulls the trigger. Mm. So yes, are some people more predisposed to that? Absolutely. Like you said, you were a, a heftier kid growing up, yeah. right? So you and were my probably- whole family's fat. <laughs> yeah, you're, they're, they're, you're predisposed to that, but right. it was your behavior that, that and you- you know, people say, well, if you have one obese parent, you're 40% more likely to be obese. And if you have two obese parents, you're 80% likely to be obese. Wow. Now, is that genetics or is that learned behavior? Yeah. It's probably a little bit of both, right? Yeah. And trying to go back and tease apart, this is why weight loss is so individual, you know, in terms of what works. Like you, you have to examine, okay, 
what was the reason that they became overweight in the first place? Well, this person's always been overweight. Okay, so there's probably a genetic component. Well, this person lost their job, their spouse died, and then they became overweight. Well, that was probably a stress response, or at least a big part of it, right? And trying to figure out, like I always, when I have new clients, I try to figure out, okay, what's your diet history like? Right, like how much of a history of dieting do you have, and give me an idea of like. Now it's a good good place to start. Yeah, what did yeah. your weight do in response to what? Right, and um, I think that's you know. We can get too simplistic with things, and and I had uh, on Twitter the other day, like some of my followers were really giving this one guy a hard time who had who's a PhD RD, who I don't agree with him very often. His name's uh, Jake May, I want to say. And uh, he's kind of snide and sarcastic towards me sometimes, but he seems to be a very smart guy. We just disagree on certain things. But some of my followers started attacking him and I was kind of like, hey guys, this isn't productive. Like, like go ahead and attack the ophthalmologist who's trying to speak about nutrition, but this guy's actually a PhD. So like, just because we don't agree doesn't mean he's wrong. I've been wrong about shit before, you know, and I'll probably will be again too, you know? You know, you said um, that, you know, that obesity is new. Um, that it's, uh, within the last 70 years, um, as a, as a large scale problem. Yeah. Yeah. I understand. Um, back in the day, it was a sign of wealth. Yeah. Right. If somebody right. was fat, bitches yeah. be crazy, going yeah. all crazy <laughs> yeah. around him. They're like, yeah. he got some money on him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Living, living off the fat of the land. Right? That's right. Um, do you think it can be, you know, I, I know that you probably don't agree with a lot of the statements by Gary Tobbs, but mm. do you at least gr- agree that it, a lot of this can be traced back to sugar or objection leading the witness or, or do do you, or do you think that we would be fucking fat no matter what? Like we would find a way. Well, I think we did find a way because if you look at, if you actually look at a a graph of sugar consumption, uh, it goes up pretty steadily along with obesity until about the year 2000. And then it actually takes a a relatively sharp downturn. We're actually consuming less and less sugar, Mm -hmm. uh, but obesity kept climbing. Right. So I, I think what happens is it's like in the 70s when what we did was we took all the high fat products, replaced them with sugar, and people kept getting fat. Well, now we've taken – we have low sugar products that have been replaced with fat, and people keep getting fat. Mm-hmm. So I think at the end of the day, a lot of it is an energy balance thing. But how you come about that energy balance, I mean, some people, for them, you know, like – so Holly and I, it's funny because, you know, Holly's very smart, registered dietitian, master of dietetics. We have a lot – Jacked. Jacked. Jacked and tan. That's right. You see how great her tan is? She's very tan. She's very tan. She got that part down. Yeah, it's crazy. People are like, where do you get that tan from? She's just fucking tan, you know? Um, Genetic specimen. Damn it. It's hard to hang out with somebody like that. She makes you feel bad about yourself, right? Do you know know that we're we're on the plane, right? And we're both- um, Everyone's asking her about working out and no one says shit to you. (laughs) Well, that's part of it. But it's like, literally some people have said to me, because you know, Holly's a very beautiful girl. They've said to me, they're like, so what's going on with you? Are like, you her brother? Yeah. Like, like it's almost like, it's okay. I get it. You're like, all right, out kicked his coverage on that one. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'm like, you know, I'm all right. I got a few things going on. All right. But just um, tell people that you're her cousin. See how they react. <laughs> They'll be like, oh, perfect. And then they go uh, sit we, next to her. We joke that me and Kabir are her, her brothers. Um, well, we have a lockbox in our house, all right, of junk food because yeah. she can't have it out. Yeah. You know, like she doesn't, she, she doesn't have that off switch. And I don't un- like for me, I don't understand. I would know because, right where that key is. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a, it's a, it's a code. Oh, code. I'm surprised she hasn't figured out. One time I left, it was funny. <laughs> I, I left, I was going uh, fishing with my buddy and, um, uh, 
she like messages me or she actually starts tagging me on Instagram. I had forgotten to lock the lockbox. And she like opens it and she's like, all right, guys, what should I have first? Yeah. And she's like putting it up on her Instagram story. And I'm like, oh, shit. Because like it really, stre- <laughs> it, you know, it stresses her out, yeah. you know. But um, I think she did a good job because actually by putting it up on her Instagram story, then she didn't, she didn't up eating anything. But yeah, like she doesn't have an off switch mm. like, um, you know, uh, like what I do. Like I can eat, I can eat 20 grams of Skittles and then put it down, put it back in the box. Close it up. You could eat a bunch of pizza right now and then your next meal could be healthy. Yeah. Like it doesn't bother me. I don't have that. I've never had that weird association. Well, I don't want to say never. Uh, I have had it, but it's been long enough to me being out of that to where I don't like, it doesn't trigger me, right. you know, and I don't have a, I think part of that is just looking at fuel uh, or food as fuel, right. And just saying, all right, well, that's 30 grams of carbohydrate and I got it from Skittles, but Okay, I'll go have some broccoli and and whatever, you know? Right. Um, But yeah, some people just, she doesn't have that off switch. And some people are like that. And I just, you know, instead of, I used to be kind of judgmental towards people like that. But everybody's wired differently. Yeah. You know what I mean? I got some shit, like when I, like I was saying, like, she doesn't understand me when I travel. When they call my group, I want to be the first person on. I want to (laughs) be on the plane. I want to get my shit in the overhead compartment. I want to sit down. And then I'll relax. Yeah. Does yeah. it make sense for somebody who, like, say they, they get into that lockbox and they have a, a, a cheat meal that turns into a cheat day? Does it make sense for them, like, the next day to go, like, on a 24-hour fast or something? That's a great question. To try to fight against yeah. them somewhere. Yeah. So, I mean, because you're coming down to the research says, because they've actually done, I, I can, there's a lot of new research coming out in this, but they've actually done research on, like, kind of non-steady dieting, where, mm-hmm. like, you you overfeed one day, underfeed the next day. And right. it doesn't seem to make a difference on fat loss. It seems to be more the weekly calorie balance that mm-hmm. makes the, the big difference. The caveat to that is... I guess that's something that people don't talk about often either, is yeah. that your, your calories, they only reset because of, yeah, like, it's not like something. It's not like something magical happens at midnight. But, yeah, you, you don't know? have zero calorie. Yeah, it's like yeah. It, it, over the course of the week and the month, it's going to matter a lot more, right? To answer your question, it depends on the person. I think, um, if you're some, I, I see a lot of people who get into like this overeat guilt punishment cycle, yeah. right? So they'll, they'll overeat and then the next day they're doing a shitload of cardio, they're fasting and they, it, it just almost perpetuates itself because yeah. they do a crap load of cardio, they fast and then they get really hungry and then they do it again. Right. And it's kind of like they're going around in circles. So if I've got somebody like that, where it's an actual like emotional kind of binge response, you know? or actual binge eating disorder, um, I'll tell them, look, just let's go a little bit lower today in the next few days, but let's not, let's not do fasting or anything crazy. Let's just try to get back on the horse. All right. right? Um, because fasting might lead to them binging again. Well, and that what it is, is that they're being punished. They're being punished for overeating. And so I I want to try and take away that association. Yeah. Yeah, you don't need to be punished. You you had a bad meal. No big deal. Let's get get back on the horse. But I had a client even last night. They're like, hey, I I got stuck uh, somewhere. All I had to eat was this. I went over my carb and take my 40 grams today. Should I just go under my 40 grams next? Sure. Completely reasonable. That's totally fine. You know, that was just uh, a calculated measure. Or like, for example, Holly, like uh, one day she was like, well, I'd like to go out and have a couple glasses of wine, Uh, you know, this and that. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go over by this today, but I'll go under by this. That is a, a thought out rational response that that's fine. Right. You know, but it, again, it's when people start to get, they've had like something stressful happen. They binge ate in response. I don't like to create that kind of punishment cycle. So your answer is it depends. <laughs> yeah. 
but and that's just my personal opinion of how to deal with it. But everybody's different. You, know, you mentioned uh, argue we're, we're me. eating less sugar, but um, you know everything turns into sugar in your body is like kind of another argument, right? And yeah. uh, there's a lot of companies. Uh, I always use Doritos as an example because yep. there's like nothing has more flavor than a fucking Dorito, right? It's fabulous. There are a lot of companies mm. making foods that we're, you know, we're quote unquote addicted to or, or we're, uh, have a hard time regulating, uh, I always struggle. right? I always struggle with the term addiction. Um, not that I don't think people can be addicted to different right. things. It's like, it's a very subjective term, right? Right. So like if we talk about addiction to heroin or, or cocaine or right. something like that, we can see very clearly, what, I mean, you like shaking withdrawals, right? right? That's, that's very different. But if we talk about food, you know, nobody ever had a come down from sugar where they're like, you know, yeah. sweating and shaking. Right, right. Um, and like, so for example, Holly believes I'm addicted to nasal spray, like the phenylephrine, <laughs> you know, cause, and I'm like, well, am I addicted or do I just like fucking breathing, you right. know? Cause like, I can't sleep if I can't breathe out of my nose. So if it comes down to me not sleeping or using the nasal spray five days in a row, I'm going to use a nasal spray five days in a row or 10 or 15, right. or even though it says in the bottle, don't do that. Um, right. And does that mean I'm addicted to it or does it just mean I like it? Or I just like right. to be able to breathe. Yeah. Well, if I like to, you know, have Skittles every night or uh, Reese's Pieces, which those are my favorite. Those mm -hmm. are awesome. Those have you guys seen the, the Reese's with Cups the, stuff with, with Reese's Pieces? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Amazing. Woo! Yeah, who did that? <laughs> um, mm. Bastards. Oh, fabulous. But um, <laughs> does that mean I'm addicted to it or is it I just like it? Yeah. You know, so like people are like. Defining I mean, you could argue anybody who likes sex is addicted to sex because, yeah. oh, you like to have sex. Well. Okay, well, most people do if they have access to it and have the <laughs> right. time for it, you know? So it's 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 kind of like, and people say, well, it activates the same pleasure center of the brain as this. Well, a lot of things activate that pleasure center, okay? So trying like to determine- term, pleasure center. Yeah. Well, they, I was talking about, there was a study <laughs> in the car. I think there was a study where they gave monkeys, like, basically, they hooked up, like, an orgasm button. And the monkeys just kept pressing it, you know? Yeah, I, 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 I may have made this up, but I'm pretty sure I heard about this. So maybe I'm butchering it. But they, like- they wouldn't eat. They didn't sleep. They just kept pressing the button, you know? That's great. So it was just like, you want to talk about how that you, shit's better than heroin, you know? How do you locate your pleasure center? Oh, well, I, I'm not a brain expert. So, um, but a lot of it is, is uh, a big dop dopamine response. Mm. So like a lot of drugs work through the dopamine uh, pathway. Yeah. And that's kind of our reward center. You know, like um, if you've ever been into a new activity, right? Like, and you're learning about it really fast and it's very novel. Like dopamine is novelty, right? Or like if you've ever been in puppy love. So like when you're like in that infatuation, mm -hmm. super, like you just can't get enough of that person. Like you think about them all the time. Yeah. Right. So, but you're like, basically what you're having is a massive flooding of dopamine, right? Yeah. Like you're actually intoxicated for about six to 12 months. Yeah. And, um, yeah, that's that, that's that reward center, that, that yeah. pleasure center for lack of a better term. Yeah. At least I think, hopefully I'm not any, any neuroscientist are welcome to comment and correct me if I'm screwing this up. <laughs> yeah, Papa Bell's checking in. Uh oh, Mike Bell. hey, yeah, what's up, Dan? Yeah, he's saying he doesn't have a uh, full stop mechanism. He eats and then he eats after again, mm. and then he feels like he should eat again. What's that all about? So there's actually, um, it's more so in uh, dieting studies, but they show that like by the end of a diet, um, your your hunger signals can become dysregulated. So. Like, and I've experienced this post-contest. I'm, I'm bringing this back to your dad. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, where I would eat and be physically full, like really physically full, and still have the compulsion to eat. And there's actually evidence. So you have gut hormones. like. And, and a lot of times, though, that's uh, the compulsion is to eat something that's 
kind of crappy because you know there's yeah, always room there's so always long. room for a donut right yeah well you so you have gut hormones like CCK and GLP one and some of these other things that that talk to your brain they 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 send so I think CCK part of it is a, a stretch like your stomach stretches a certain amount and it causes CCK to be released I could be butchering this <laughs> but from my nutrition 420 class that's what I remember and CCK goes to your brain and basically says okay we've had enough stop eating. Well, there's evidence that actually when you've been like calorically restricted or maybe even in people who are obese, they could be dysregulated where your brain will like actively block that signal, give it the stiff arm and be like, nah, we're not done. Mm. So that's why you can have people who continue overeating even when the physiological signals are, are, are done. And like that transition from like diet to, to overfeeding that a lot of us have had before. Have you ever finished a diet and then just like fucking blown out afterwards? Oh yeah, people, yeah, rebound, right? Yeah. yeah. So that's very common. There's actually evidence now like adipose tissue is really amazing, actually. We used to think about adipose tissue as just like this stationary tissue that just kind of sat there. And if you ate too much, it soaked it up. If you ate too little, it released some energy. And that's pretty much what it did. And now we know adipose tissue is an organ. It's an organ. It secretes hormones. It talks to the brain. It talks to other organs. Like or it talks to other tissues. It's an organ. Right. And, um, and not even homogeneous. Like there's different types of fat tissue. And like when you regain fat, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but when you regain fat after a diet, you preferentially regain it in your core mm. as opposed to your extremities. Well, and you actually, uh, your lean body mass you lose is actually preferentially from your core as well. Uh, and when you regain it, you regain it slower in your core than you do your extremities. And that is actually more responsible for your metabolic rate in terms of lean tissue mm. than some of your extremities. And things like, um, you know, leptin and some of these other hormones are usually dictated by um, the size of your fat cells. And they find that when you're actually calorically restricted and kind of at that end of a diet phase, beginning of transition into not being dieting, that it's actually not the total uh, fat mass or fat cells you have. It's more so the energy flux across the cell. And you can actually create new fat cells. Mm. Um, usually new fat cells don't form, like preadipocytes don't differentiate into adipocytes Unless you just become so obese that your body can't accommodate for anymore and has to make new fat cells, which it can. But even at the end of a diet, what, what happens is, again, people thought that fat cells just kind of sat there. And we know now your body is always making new fat cells and destroying old fat cells. And there's kind of this turnover. It's slow and it's very tightly regulated because normally your fat cell number doesn't change. But at the end of a, like a diet or at the end of caloric restriction, you actually create an environment where if you aren't careful with how you transition out of that, you can actually create new fat cells. So um, dieting actually places a stress on the extracellular matrix of the fat cells. And further, um, having lower th lowered thyroid hormone and some other just like, it kind of creates this perfect storm where if you overeat rapidly at the end of a diet, you can, you can cause your pre-adipocytes to spontaneously differentiate into adipocytes. Mm. So that's why I t I'm like telling people, like at end the, now, a lot of this is my opinion based on the right. research I've seen, but I feel fairly confident in it. Um, that's why I tell people, I'm like, be really careful with how you end a diet and like transition. And that's why I talk about, you know, reverse dieting and not, not just, you know, saying, well, time to bulk. You yeah, know what I yeah, mean? Yeah. Like you want to transition, even if you're going to go into caloric surplus, you want to transition into that in a reasonable manner. And how could, you, how could somebody, uh, how could somebody feed their hunger, um, 
you know, somebody like my dad who's still hungry, like what's like, what are some options that maybe he would have? Well, I went down the rabbit hole that question. That would I? be, that would be, that would be able to uh, like stifle that, you know, cause it's like, it's hard just to be like, oh, we'll go, just go to bed. Well, there's, so there's, there's a few things you can do and they're kind of mental tricks actually. One, use smaller plates. So if you use a smaller plate, the same amount of food looks bigger. Oh. Um, it sounds dumb, but yeah. it actually showed that people ate 30 to 40% less when they use a smaller plate. That's why plate. men like women with small hands. <laughs> <laughs> <Put 'em. laughs> Holly does have trouble holding the deadlift bar. <laughs> um, but you, you find that with small plates, people eat less um, spontaneously. Right. Uh, also, if you eat a big salad or soup, before you go to your main meal, people tend to eat less of the main meal. And also kind of structure your food intake so that you are eating um, the more, the less calorie dense, more filling things first. So eat your vegetables and your salad and all that kind of stuff. Eat that first and then transition to your other stuff. Um, Is there any information about eating something that's hot? Um, like you said, soup. Probably. Uh, what about like, you know, eat like, uh, eating this, like I have bone broth, you know, and sometimes mm-hmm. I'll have it after a meal. Cause I really still feel like eating something. It, uh, it obviously is not really filling me up. It's just a liquid, but it, yeah. it's, uh, giving me enough satisfaction where I can just have that and go to bed. I don't know. I, I don't know about hot versus cold. I do know like some people get filled, filled off coffee, Yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, but I don't know. I've, I've never really looked into that. Holly might know more about that just cause she's more into the dietetic. Might be good just to things. have something in front of you too. Like if everyone's going to order dessert, you know, maybe you order, yeah. maybe you have a coffee, a right? coffee. Yeah. Instead, just so you don't have, uh, <laughs> so you're not envious of what they're eating. I mean, it's, it's, you know, and this is what I talk, you know, obviously people kind of know me as the flexible dieting guy, but you know, I always say that flexible dieting is kind of self-regulating because if you're somebody who you're on, if you have to be on, you know, 1700 calories to lose weight, sure, you could have a piece of cheesecake, but mm. there goes 1200 of your calories, yeah. you know, and it's not in something that's real filling, right? So I always use this example of a friend of mine, Sohi Lee, I don't know if you ever heard of her, but she's mm. really intelligent girl. She just finished her master's in psychology. She did, she won her pro card in bikini. And during that prep, she actually did an experiment where she ate a Snickers every day. She fit into her macros and she oh, ate a I Snickers. Like that. I like this study. Right. So, <laughs> um, but, you know, after about three weeks of eating it every day, uh, so she got in great shape. She lost as much weight as it predicted she should lose. She said she hated eating that Snickers because that was 250 calories gone like that. And it was just a little thing. You know, she's like, I really just wanted a big salad. So if you do dieting right. Don't get any ideas over there. <laughs> no. If you're doing dieting right, <laughs> it should be self-regulating that as you get lower in calorie, you're just going to select foods that are more uh, or less calorie dense, that are, are more have more weight and more volume to them. But I think we kind of get away from that. And it's like, you know, I think about like I work from home, right? And I'm lucky. I've got Icon Meals as a sponsor and they deliver our weekly meals. Our buddy Todd week. Abrams. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome, dude. Shout out to Todd. But if you guys haven't checked out Icon, honestly, like they, they make Absolutely. really good stuff and they deliver anywhere fast. They got like, good snacks and great, everything too. Great option. Their popcorn is actually crack. Oh my God. Yeah. That's really now, We can't have it in the house. Holly no, actually, I, yeah. Holly actually was like, no, we, we can't have that. I went through too many bags of it. Oh I was man. Like, I'll just use it for the movies. And I never <laughs> I just crushed it every time. Yeah. So and once you open the bag, that's it. It's, it's not getting oh, reclosed. It's done deal. Um, but, uh, no, not everybody has that option, right? So it's like, if, if I actually had to, if I was going to a nine to five job and I had to make my food and I had to do all this kind of stuff, like it would be really hard. You know, like I get to work from home. I get a controlled environment. 
except when my kids are there because they go crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> but, um, you know, it, it, it just would be really difficult. So I understand like the struggle and I think it's just, I never got it put better to me than, than yes, you know, certain things are harder and whatnot, but everything is a choice, right? At the end of the day, everything is a choice. So Les Brown had a motivational speech that I really liked. Love that he guy. said, yeah, he said, he said, if you want, people say they want to lose weight or they, they say they want to do this. They say, watch their actions. That tells you if somebody really wants something, right. you know, I'm sure some people do want to lose weight, but if they don't want it worse than they want to just get to their job quick and not have to cook something, then they're mm-hmm. not going to, you know? Yeah. I have people all the time. will they'll tell me they don't have time. I said, there's no such thing. Like that's got to be blocked Everybody's out of your head. That doesn't, that doesn't exist hours. anymore. Well, you know, my therapist was really good about making this very, she's, she'll fucking tell me straight. Like <laughs> yeah. she's a savage, you know, and she'll, like, I would say same, like, well, I want to do this and I want to do this. And I would, she's like, Lane, stop saying that. Because if you really wanted this, you would have done this. She's like, so stop saying that. She's like, pick the things that you want the most, put them in order of priority. I think everybody could use that. Right. Like one of the things she, one of the things she made me say was like, well, I want to be best dad possible. And she's like, well then quit this. (laughs) And I'm like, I can, I can quit that. Like that's, that's important to me. She's like, okay, well that's fine. She's like, listen, she's like, if you, she's like, nobody wants to say this, but sometimes you can't put your kids first. Right. It's like, that's, that's now sometimes you have to, and a lot of times you have to, but she's like, you also got to take care of you. She's like, but don't say this if you're going to do this because you're not putting your kids first. Well, a lot of times between the ages of around 30 to 50, uh, uh, in a lot of relationships, well, sometimes the female as well, but, but the guy's got to work, you know, to provide for the family. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, you're absolutely right. Like, uh, the guy might have to go to work at eight o'clock and that's just. He can't put the kid, he can't hang out with the kids for that day, right? I mean, well, it's, it's just more about the way, like, well, the if I want to compete in powerlifting, you know, and I'm going to do four hours in the gym or something right. like that, like when I've got my kids and, right. you know, or if I'm going to go to the gym, put them in the kind of the gym daycare or whatever, am I really being the best dad possible? No, the best dad possible would say, well, fuck powerlifting. I'm, I'm just going to spend the time with my kids, <laughs> right. right? So, but you also have certain things, you have to have certain things that make you happy. Otherwise you're probably going to be a pretty crappy dad as well. Yeah. That's on balance. And it doesn't, um, it doesn't show your kids anything either. It's kind of better if you're doing multiple things. So kind of be like, man, dad's kicking a lot of ass. He's powerlifting and doing all these different things. And I think, you know, again, what my therapist was good about was like calling me out on it. Mm. Right. Saying, don't say this because you're not. And you would say the same thing. Yeah. Right. So somebody that wanted to be a better powerlifter, you'd say, well, stop saying that. You can't say that. You, like if you want to be a world champion you're getting or something drunk like on that, the weekends, you, you better, what are you doing? Yeah, exactly. Like it's ridiculous. It's, it's, you're not doing every single thing you can. And in today's game, people are taking their game to such a high level, whether it's powerlifting, business, social media, whatever you really, I've understood more than ever the need to find out what am I good at and, and, and focus on that. Don't like. I started like last year, I kind of was like trying to start like a clothing brand or something like, like I figured out pretty quick that that's, yeah, that, that don't, don't waste time on that. The people don't follow me for clothing. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like, it's just not like, I'll probably have some stuff just for people for making a few bucks here and there, but I'm never going to have like a, an alpha lead or something like that. Like, it's just not going to happen. That's not why people follow me. They follow me for information. You know, it's a lot easier to figure out who you're not. Right. That's yeah. than, than it is to figure out who you are and you start yeah. to kind of poke around and you're like, well, I can't execute that the way that guy does, but 
maybe I'm better at this, right? Well, I, I know what I'm good at. I like lifting heavy things. I like giving people information and I like interacting with people. So take those and find out a way to make money from it, right? Yeah. And uh, yeah, but it's been, like I said, it's it's been a really, um, like I was, I was telling Andres, I was like, I used to think I was just like, I wanted to handle everything because I was a bad motherfucker. You <laughs> right, know what I mean? Right. I could handle everything. It didn't matter. I could do the accounting for my business and I could be dad and I could be the husband and I could do this and I could do that. No, it doesn't work that way, you know? And one of the hardest things for me was delegating. Yeah, it's very rare for anybody to do that, whether it be uh, Warren Buffett or, you know, the dude that runs Amazon or, you know, like it's, it's just too much. You can't do everything. Yeah, you're uh, so limited. You're in too many places at once. Yeah, and that's the thing is like, I I would hate, I would also hate telling people no. Like that's one of the things I've had to get really good at. Sorry, no, I can't do your podcast. Not you, of course, because, you know, (laughs) you're hot. That's right. Uh, like I, you know, I've had people who reach out and say, oh, I I really love your stuff and I'll, and I'll go look at it and they've only got, you know, 500 subscribers or whatever. Now, 10 years ago, I'm doing that podcast. Right. But now it's like, I look at that, well, that's an hour I could spend with my kids or that's an hour I could be in the gym or that's an hour Holly and I could be doing something or that's an hour I could spend on business elsewhere. And it's not that I don't hate your podcast. I don't hate you. You probably have some awesome stuff to say and I'm sure we'd have a good time. But I just, I can't commit that hour. But I ain't got time for that shit. I, I can't commit that hour to that because if I do that, I'm taking away from something else. And what I'm saying is that that is more important than the other thing I'm doing here. And it's just not. We've uh, talked in the past about uh, being on Joe Rogan. You yeah. Know, you've seen me on there a couple times and uh, in my- Joe, convers- are you listening? Yeah. In my conversations, <laughs> hopefully. In my conversations with him, you know, we, we brought your name up. We brought a couple of friends' names yeah. up uh, that we thought would be- Tag Joe Rogan in this podcast. So that we <laughs> that we thought would be uh, worthwhile, you know? Yeah. Um, when you're listening to his show and you listen to, you know, Gary Tobbs, Peter Itia, some of mm-hmm. these guys, um, and just any anytime they're talking about nutrition- mm-hmm. Do you, are you sometimes like tensing up being like, man, I wish I could get on there, kind of say my piece and say my this side of things. Probably isn't going to be real popular with Joe. <laughs> I don't listen to those episodes because it will probably make me angry. It'll give you a heart attack. Um, not, not so much like a rate. I just, I think Joe Rogan, here comes the ego stroking. I think Joe Rogan's actually a very intelligent person. Yeah. Like I, the stuff I've listened, cause I, like I started listening to him when he was uh, doing uh, MMA announcing. Yeah. And I always liked like his stuff and, you know, I'm a libertarian. Joe's a libertarian. I really like what he has to say about a lot of that kind of stuff. Like we probably sit down and have a beer or in his case, he'd smoke a, smoke some weed. From Um, an MMA standpoint, I mean, he taught the world about like what the people were doing when they're grappling on the ground. Now people cheer for those moves. He, he, he made, he made ground stuff fun. Yeah. You know, he made it exciting. I remember I loved watching. People used to boo it. People were like, what are they doing? Most exciting fight I ever saw was Nick uh, Diaz versus Carl Parisian because they're just rolling around on the ground doing crazy jujitsu moves and, 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 uh, and judo. But, you know, like, so I, but, but here's, here's the thing. Greg Knuckles said this to me, another very insightful thing, and it really made me think, and I really liked it. Why is that guy so smart? He's very smart. Uh, he said, he also has a, by the way, has a publication named Mass, where they review um, him, Eric Helms, and Dr. Mike Zordos review uh, studies in nutrition and strength training every month. Fabulous. He does that like on Facebook or something, or is it a website? No, it's a subscription. It's a subscription, right, right, like right. PDF, but each PDF is like 100 else pages. on the podcast mentioned that they, it's awesome. maybe it was Stan. I think yeah. Stan has a subscription to it. LaneMass.com for my affiliate link. There you uh, go. Awesome. <laughs> but go. honestly, it's great. great, great, great subscription. But he said, Greg was on my podcast and Greg said, one of the problems is, is that people are really good at determining when somebody knows more about a subject than them, right? 
What they're really bad at is that when there's two people that know more about a subject than them, who is the more knowledgeable of the two? Because yeah. think about it. If you you like, think they're the same kind of. I'll give you. I'll mm-hmm. give you an example. I love to fish. Fishing is one of my hobbies, right? If there's two expert anglers that are on a show and they're arguing over which knot is better to tie for a topwater lure, how the hell am I going to know <laughs> unless I want to go through and actually tie the knot, test the strength, you know, that sort of stuff, and test the movement of a lure some way? How am I going to know? I'm just going to pick the guy I like more. You know what I mean? Right. But that's how nutrition goes. You get attached to certain personalities or you get, uh, you resonate. Human beings are, are we like groups. We're very herd type animals. Yeah. So we like to identify with a movement. And like, if you go into down the rabbit hole of like the, the anti-artificial sweetener people, like they're like a friggin' church, man. <laughs> like, like I had a gal tell me I should be convicted of child abuse if I give my daughter like diet Coke, sure. you know? Um, and I think it's people, one, if they identify with something like that, they want to belong to something and they want to feel like a greater cause. Mm. Um, so I think that's where it's easy to become a little bit of a zealot, you know, and I'll give you an example where that happened with me. I'm a Joe, I'm a gun guy. So, you know, I like target shootings when my, I'm not a hunter, no, no problem with hunter, but I do like competitive pistol shooting and that sort of thing. Um, and I, I was a member of the NRA and because, you know, I believe in gun rights, but like that whole kind of subset of people also identifies with other beliefs other than just gun rights. Right. And I started like finding myself like moving more that, and then I had to be like, wait, what the, I don't actually believe that. Why am I saying that? You know, (laughs) it's because people like to feel like they belong to something, you know? So like, why does, why do people tend to gravitate to one or the other political groups? Like you, if you're a Democrat, you don't probably really believe everything a Democrat says, but, Democrats tend to get behind other Democrats and just fall in line with a, a certain mm. ideology. Yeah. You know, that's why a lot of times I say, if you talk to most people, most people are kind of libertarian just in, in just in the way they feel, but they'll identify with one part or the other because they feel more strongly about something. Right. But I think that's where it's easy to get wrapped up into, well, let's blame carbs or let's blame fats or let's blame whatever you want to pick, toxins, whatever. Um, and honestly, I think it's sexier to have somebody on a show saying, well, this is bad. Let's get rid of this. Or to have somebody say, you've, you've been lied to, you know, the government's covering this up or, or, or whatever it is. It's the food pyramid that made us fat. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, you know, would would I disagree with every single thing any of them say? No, I, I can find, you know, if you, um, it's like, um, the, what the health documentary, right? Garbage, garbage. But. There was one thing they said that I agreed with, and I admitted it. I, they, they said, well, sugar doesn't cause diabetes. I said, well, I think on the surface that's probably true if you're controlling for calories. Now, sugar is easy to overeat on, so people tend to overeat on it. Right. They don't. If you drink a Coke, you don't go, well, that was 50 grams of carbohydrates, mm-hmm. so I'm going to take that out from my, from my pasta later. No, they just drink it on top of what they usually eat. Mm. But, um, no, it's the same thing. Like I think in general, you know, like take the paleo diet. I think in general, if you tell people eat more protein, more vegetables, I think those are probably reasonable recommendations and would help reduce the intake for most people. But it's when you become a zealot about it. Don't eat beans because our ancestors didn't eat beans. Don't don't drink milk because our ancestors didn't drink milk. You know, milk's bad for you because it has pus. Every study we have on dairy says that people who have higher intakes of dairy tend to be leaner, stronger, and better body composition. So listen, 
Regardless of what our ancestors did, it seemed like dairy's all right, right. you know? But people get so, like, encamped in a belief system that they... That's why I tell people, I tend to piss everybody off because I just <laughs> piss on your beliefs because it, right. if it's not supported by... So I piss off keto, I piss off paleo, I piss <laughs> off vegan, I piss off everybody because I'm just going, uh, yeah, you're actually wrong about that. Right. So but, when somebody um, says something like sugar doesn't cause diabetes, maybe a, uh, a right way of saying it would be if you abused sugar for a long time and became heavy and became obese, uh, maybe you abused it enough to be insulin resistant. Maybe not even obese, right? Because obesity doesn't, not always obese, obese to have diabetes, right? So that's, actually, that's a good point. Yeah. Uh, people don't know this. Like, But if you abuse sugar for a long period of time. If you overeat sugar, it, you're probably overeating calories. Right. And so you're probably going to create, you know, a situation where you become metabolic syndrome, type 2 diabetes. Right. That's possible, you right. know? And not but, everybody though, right? Because some people can right. handle sugar just fine. Well, and, well, some people don't have the, are, are will reduce their intake elsewhere. You know, right. and some people don't have that, right? Mm. So, but for some people, is sugar a bigger contributor? We've talked about, you don't have the off switch, right? right. So you, you know that if you have one donut, you're going to have 20, yep. you know? So knowing that, Holly's the same way, right? So knowing that, you have to accommodate for that. And that's where individual variability comes in. And so like, you know, when I was on the Mixed Mental Arts podcast with, uh, with Hunter and Brian Callen, you know, I said, I'm not a, a, people try to paint me into this corner as I'm a flexible dieting guy, just track calories. No, I think everybody's different, but I'm not an anti-keto guy. I'm not an anti-vegan guy. I'm not an anti-paleo guy. I'm not an anti, I'm just an anti-bullshit guy, mm -hmm. you know? So yeah, that makes if sense. you, if you say something that's not supported by the data, I'm just going to call you on it, you know? And so I think, you know, I don't know, like I, I, I would, you know, love to do a podcast like that because I would yeah. love to reach the general public and just kind of, I think. I think it's good to tell people, hey, you probably want to limit your intake of sugars. But I think when you get into saying, well, sugar's a poison, like you're creating, you're creating problems for some people because now they look at it and they, and there's guilt associated with it. And this is how you can create eating disorders in people. There's probably, uh, all of it is probably, I mean, all if all of it can probably be viewed almost as a poison if you eat crazy amounts of, of any of it really. I mean, the right? dosage makes the poison. Yeah. The dosage makes the poison. You've got elite athletes who need sugar to yeah. perform, but not, I don't want to say need, it's wrong, who perform better with some sugar. Right. You know, people are consuming six, 8,000 calories. Try to consume 8,000 calories a day from vegetables, high protein, <laughs> and fat. Right. You can do it, but you're not going to feel real good. Yeah, like you're going to have some GI distress, you know? <laughs> so it's all about context and, 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 you know, again, if in general, there's some general rules that work well for most of the population, right? but you can't apply it to everybody. And I think painting anything with a broad brush is doing everybody a disservice. And so, like I said, like, um, is it like flexible dieting, for example, is it good to get all your carbs from people have said, well, why don't you just drink whey protein, ate pop tarts, peanut butter, <laughs> and then filled in your fiber with, with benefiber, right? Well, no, that, that's probably not the best thing. But could you lose weight and get healthier from it? You probably could, to be honest. But is it the absolute best thing you could do? No, but that doesn't... The best... I always tell people, the best diet you can be on is probably the one you can stick to, to be honest with you. Because consistency and... I mean, it's like the gym, right? Right. If you're not in here every day, it don't matter if you got the best program in the world. <laughs> right. If you're not consistent with it, it's not going to do shit.
yeah, you need the consistency. And a lot of people will kind of like diet hop, you know, and they'll, they'll be oh. on, you know, one diet and then the next day or, you know, they're on another diet. And it's like, you need, you know, not only a few days and not only a few weeks, but probably a few months. And sometimes like this stuff takes a long time. I've had some people in here that I've put on a ketogenic diet or even just, I'd rather just call it a low carb diet, put people on a low carb diet. And sometimes it will take them two or three months to just learn the food and to just catch their rhythm and to be honest with themselves. Yep. Because as you were, you were pointing out earlier, your therapist said, no, this isn't what you really want to do. Yep. People say they want to lose weight, but they're still drinking on the weekend. It's yep. like, well, I'm, you know, for you anyway, in this particular case, that doesn't work for you. Maybe that works for somebody else. Maybe yep. somebody else has to think about it less and they, they just cut back carbs by 50% and all of a sudden they've lost 20 pounds. That's yeah, not, it, it's not going to work that way for everybody. Yeah. I mean, it's, again, I'm a very... What I try to get people to be honest about is, okay, just don't say things like calories don't matter. You know, that, uh, that's just get away from that. Now, if you want to, it was funny because I kind of just had a really big Twitter debate with a, a doctor who was a very big, low carb, uh, high fat uh, zealot. And he kind of talked in circular logic mm. about, well, you know, a ketogenic diet works better and this and that. And at the end, he kind of said, well, but a lot of people can stick to it better. I said, well, that's what I've been saying this entire time. Right. And, and then he goes, he goes, well, my work here is done. I said, no, no, you, <laughs> you like talked your way around this. Yeah. And then I like, what well, I've never heard you say, okay, it's not metabolically advantageous. I've never heard you say that. You kind of try to like mm. make it sound like there's some kind of magic, but at the end you said, well, it's better adherence. Maybe slightly. Right. Like it does seem on the average, like a little bit. Uh, lower carb, higher fat, it produces a little bit better dietary adherence. I think it's probably less to do with the low carb and more to do with by trading out carbohydrate for fat. I think it's much harder to be on a low fat diet than it is to be on a high fat yeah, diet. Yeah, low fat diet, especially like if you're You can't go that, out to eat. Yeah, you can't go out to eat and things like that. But for some people, they don't care. They'll they just, don't care. They'll prep all their meals and yep. they'll do fine. I know Alberto Nunez, uh, he's a very successful natural bodybuilder and he eats like 50 grams of fat he's a day. so shredded. And he shreds his shit. You know, he's eating 800 grams of carbs a day in the off season, 400 grams of carbs. During prep, you know, so again, I think it boils down to individualism. And I think, I think hopefully in the future, what's going to happen with nutritional recommendations is they're going to move towards that. Mm. Um, but it's tough because not everybody can afford a personal coach. Right. And uh, if you're the government, you have to give some kind of, I mean, well, you don't have to, but you're the government. So you feel like you got to say something about everything. So you've got to give some kind of recommendation. So do you overgeneralize and maybe give it, the wrong information or do you not say anything and hope or give people all the information and say, and probably confuse them. Somebody might say something like, uh, like sleep, right? Sleep has a very specific, uh, like, like RX, like a, a prescribed amount of sleep for everyone in the entire world is like seven to nine hours. Now I know that there's other people that can kind of, so other people get five and I understand, but like, um, in, in just, Hearing different people talk about sleep, they just say there's so much more benefit if you're getting seven to nine hours. Yes. Is there anything in nutrition that resembles anything close to that? Like, can we, could we just flat out say, like, you're not going to get obese if you do these three things. Or you're not going to get fat if you were to, you know, is there, can you, can we prescribe an amount of carbohydrates to people, an amount of fat to people uh, that rep, that goes along with their body weight or or is it, or there's too many different things going on in the human body to, uh, to have an RX for it. It's tough because I've seen people eat a clean diet of low carb, 
uh, modest fat, higher protein and still get, get fat. Right. Um, now a lot of that was targeted overfeeding sometimes, but I think in general, like general rules for improving adherence and satiety are, you know, eat a higher protein diet, probably around, uh, two grams per kilo of lean body mass or up to three grams per kilo of lean body mass. Um, you know, eat, uh, more vegetables, more fiber. And, you know, as far as carbs and fats go, kind of find where you're able to be most adherent. And mm. I and I'll also like trying to become hopefully at some point an intuitive eater where you, I don't, people use the term intuitive eating and they just go kind of, <laughs> let's go by what, how hungry I am. Yeah. Most people can't, it's too difficult to, to our hunger signals have become so dysregulated because of the way our society works. What I mean so far is, is if you eat a plate of something, having a general good idea of what was in it, like most people just don't know that, mm. you know, the most I ever learned about nutrition was when I first got into bodybuilding and I just went through the supermarket and looked at what does this food have in it? Like you would learn so much if you just, <laughs> like I tell people, just track what you eat yeah. for three weeks. Don't even change anything. And I you almost will... forgot about that time period in my life, like where I checked every label of everything. Yeah. And I was like, and you, you probably, learn a lot. Like you learn a ton. Yeah. And what happens is that, you know, you might not be able to estimate perfectly, but you usually know around what you're taking yeah. in. Now you and know then, a bag of chips, you know, you kind of like have an yeah. idea of what that looks like. I can like tell you what most bags of chips are, 21 grams of carbohydrates and seven grams of fat. Yeah. You know? and, and milk and everything else. You got an idea, like 13 grams of sugar, you know? Yeah. And, and Eight grams I, of fat. I think honestly, like that education for most people would be a huge benefit. You know, what, what, what are we, you know, teaching in high school that kids aren't using? Well, what if we like just taught them how to like what was in food, yeah. you know? Because here's the other thing too, is if you're tracking what's in your food, you probably change your behavior just by default because mm. you'd have to look at it. Yeah. When it comes to, you know, you, you're mentioning, uh, the sugar, you know, perhaps not causing, uh, diabetes, um, Diabetes is uh, caused from uh, insulin resistance, right? We, or... we don't know exactly what causes it. Some okay. people argue this. I'll give you my opinion, and I'm kind of in line with my PhD advisor, Don Maybe Lehman. just start out saying what diabetes is first. Known so diabetes is basically where you have, uh, so type 1 diabetes is where your body does not produce insulin. Uh, usually it comes on in early childhood, uh, like adolescence, right. like anywhere from, you know, 5 to 15 years old. Usually after some kind of, um, they find it's usually after some kind of virus. Mm. Um, it's kind of like an, uh, uh, autoimmune response where your body gets rid of the virus, but also for some reason attacks your pancreatic beta cells. At least that's what we think happens. Mm. Um, so you can't produce insulin and your glucose becomes really high and glucose is actually tox is toxic to your blood vessels. Mm. Um, and so you have to clear that. And, uh, if you don't have insulin, you can't clear it because yeah. insulin disposes of glucose into muscle tissue, adipose, and other, t and other tissues. So that's why people who are type one have to have, uh, exogenous insulin. Yeah. Type two is quite different. Uh, type two, basically your insulin that you do produce becomes less effective. So your blood, your blood sugar begins to come, become elevated because the same insulin that would normally dispose of that glucose is now no longer having the same effect. And you release insulin typically when you eat carbohydrates, you eat carbohydrate. but, it, yeah. but it can get protein spiked as well. from protein. Protein and stuff as, as well. well. And that's where I always kind of come to the, the, the great uh, cognitive dissonance of people like uh, Gary Taubes where mm -hmm. they're advocating for high protein, which I, I love high protein diets, but it's like, all right, well, if insulin is what's really doing this, pro insulin goes up after protein. 
So yeah. how do you how as do you much? Uh, probably not as much, right. but it's still going up. So gotcha. how do you kind of reconcile the two of those? Now, I'll tell you kind of, you mentioned you can be fat and still not be type 2 diabetes. There are people who are fat who are, by all means, if you went and checked their blood lipids and everything, are still in shape. Yeah, they've been, been fat their whole lives and they don't have type 2 and diabetes. And uh, a lot of times there are people who exercise who are just, they don't lose the weight and they're just yeah. fat. Um it's called the fat but fit phenomenon. And there's people that are skinny that can there have people, diabetes. Yes, exactly. So what I this is 100. I'm I'm off the I'm off the reservation here. I'm going out on a limb. Okay, this is not a scientific fact. Everyone listening, this is just my 100 opinion. I don't think obesity causes diabetes, type two diabetes. I don't think type two diabetes causes uh, obesity. I think they come across in parallel, just in a high percentage, because of when you have too much energy coming in, you have to dispose of it. And you create, your mitochondria can become dysfunctional. And basically, you got to think about mitochondria, the steps of glycolysis and then the Krebs cycle. You have glucose enters and eventually winds up somehow as ATP, well, it doesn't get converted to ATP, but it drives ATP production, but gets converted to essentially carbon dioxide and water. That's what all oxidative respiration ends up as. Mm. In those steps of that chain, if you start, think about like a, a train. If the front end of the train slows down, the whole thing slows down, right? You start stacking it up. Even if they weren't connected, if you had one slow down, the rest of it would start. It's like traffic. Okay, yeah. traffic's better, better, better indication. Red light, traffic starts backing up. If you're not oxidizing these intermediates what you find is and in diabetes you, you find this type 2 diabetes these intermediates start to build up in the mitochondria and what happens is everything inhibits the thing behind it mm, so all the it's right. called negative feedback and what happens is it starts backing up into the bloodstream okay because you now can't dispose of it into the cell because if you look in type 2 diabetes not only are carbohydrates elevated lipids are elevated uh fatty acids are elevated and Amino acids are elevated in the bloodstream. Mm. So people kind of look at this, the wrong, in my opinion, the wrong way. There was a researcher who was like, well, branched chain amino acids are elevated in the bloodstream in, obese, in obesity and diabetes. So they must be, they're, they're causing it. They're somehow the cause of it. No, everything's elevated. Everything's becoming backed up, but it starts at the mitochondria, which is your, where you produce energy. Um, because if you just, here's, here, and here's why I don't think obesity is causing diabetes or vice versa. If you have somebody calorie restrict and start exercising i bet you within because we saw this in our lab with layman's lab with some of the studies did within three four weeks their blood work fine Mm. like it 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 corrects itself that quickly um they didn't lose all the weight they put on right 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 so what happened now they're eight like something like hba1c which is a, a glycosylated hemoglobin that will take longer to go down. And that's a, that's a marker for diabetes, right. but that's because blood cells take 90 days to turn over. Um, so you're basically yeah. saying though, though that you're going to run into a problem. You, you could be likely to run into a problem, uh, if you're consuming excess amounts of food of anything and you're not, and you're not burning it up. Right. Period. Right. You so can have what, heart disease. What we have is, is, you can end up with all kinds of different things. You know, one of the best ways to get the mitochondria work is to work out. Right. You know, I think people go, Oh, it's, 80% nutrition, 20% exercise. Yeah. I'm a nutrition guy. 
that statement's bullshit. You would love for it to be that way. You'd make I would more love money. for it to be. I, <laughs> listen, I tell people, I, like, I wish I would have found magic foods. I went to grad school to find magic foods. Because if I found magic, fat-burning, muscle-building foods, guess what? I wouldn't be here. I'd be sitting on my 200-foot mm -hmm. yacht in the middle of the Atlantic Eat blueberries. Ocean. Fucking Eat avocados. Getting, getting fanned by five bitches on either side. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But, like, I... like. I would have made a ton of money, but the fact of the matter is there wasn't magic foods. Like we just didn't find that, you know, um, not a magic diet, not a magic diet, you know, but overconsumption of anything, you know, like people say, what about protein? Protein's harder to overconsume just cause there's, there's the logistics it creates, of it. Yeah. Well, you can only like, it's a hard to like eat three, 400 grams of protein. Like that's an actual job. You know what I mean? Um, but you could, Protein itself probably wouldn't make you fat, but it's enough calorie cushion that if you ate enough yeah. carbohydrates and fat, that would make you fat. So it's complicated. But again, too much of anything is probably a bad thing. Right. And, you know, I think we're going to tease a lot more of these things out. I do think some people do physiologically better on a higher carb, lower fat diet and vice versa. But we don't know kind of people claim they have blood tests and genetic yeah. tests that measure the shit, but I, I don't. Yeah. I, I don't I, know. I'm yes. kind of, I think, I think. We know we've sequenced the human genome. I don't think we exactly know what everything means just yet. So yeah, I don't I, think you can get blood work done that just automatically shows that you're gluten intolerant, right? I mean, uh, uh, let's see, <laughs> gluten intolerant. Actually, like Holly, twenty three and Me or whatever shows you that you're like, I don't know. It, it, it tests your ask genetics, Holly about right? that. Holly actually knows. So Holly is actually celiac. Yeah. So she knows a lot about GI disorders and whatnot right. uh, just from her own personal interest, mm. and is really FODMAP sensitive too. So mm. she would be mm. good to ask about that. But yeah, it's. I think we will get to that point. Well, we're going to have, you know, you'll get genetic testing done and find out what you're probably more predisposed to do well on. But then again, at the end of the day, let's say you're, you're, it says, well, you do genetically best on a high carbohydrate, low fat diet, but you that, that makes you overeat. Right. Like, because you, you're just, you, you really like carbs and you tend to, you know, eat more carbs. Well, then maybe it's not the best diet for you. All right. So there's, again, this, this problem is a, is a multifactorial problem. I right? think most of these things start with, uh, just hunger and cravings um you know because not just... always because some people it starts with stress man mm. like some people different stress some people get stressed and they become anorexic like my uh my personal assistant mm. david mathis awesome guy he was an army medic he was like literally on his deathbed and when he describes it you know he kind of had a little bit of um you know he said it was kind of like um i don't want to i don't want to misquote him so david i'm sorry if i if i screw it up Lovely guy, by the way. Awesome guy. Um, but he, uh, he became anorexic, but he was like, you know, what really wasn't like, I didn't, I wasn't like scared of food or necessarily, it's kind of a control thing. It was kind of a control thing. Like he had a control issue, right? And being over in, in, I, I think he was stationed in Afghanistan for a little while. And he was like, you know, like he also like, it's an example that he doesn't sleep well. Because he was used to just getting woken up, like bombs would go off yeah. or whatever, and, and uh, like he would just hard to sleep, he yeah. just has a hard time sleeping. Well, all that stuff kind of like there was a few kind of traumatic things that happened in his life, and he just he just stopped eating and started exercising a ton, mm. you know. And and like he he posted a picture the other day on Facebook, and he was like, he got admitted to the hospital, like he his sure. vitals were bad. People don't realize this anorexia is actually the most deadly. Uh, mental disorder in the states wow. more so than depression. It kills more people every year than depression. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, people, That's crazy. so people people don't realize like these food disorders. Yeah, and like the way we talk about food, people got to be careful. I've worked with, uh, I've worked with probably 
800 to 1,000 women over the last 15 years. Over 70% of them had some form of eating disorder. Mm. And I'm not, I'm not trying to dog on women at no, all. Yeah. Like, but I think when you're, when you're told from a young age, you need to be skinny, you, need, you should be on a diet. Like, and a lot of these are learned behaviors from their mothers. Right. Right. So mothers will look at themselves in the mirror and call themselves fat. Or and I'll, I'll tell my female clients, if you have kids, if you have daughters, and you call yourself fat, you're going to give your daughter an eating disorder. Mm. It, it, it's very likely to happen. Right. Like, it's just... I've been talking to my kids since they were really young about nutrition. And when, when they were really little, I kind of made it kind of black and white, just because I thought that was the easiest way. And I would say... It's hard to give kids context. Yeah. And so, like, when they'd eat a cookie or something, I would say... And they wanted uh, ice cream after dinner. I'd say, no, you had the cookie earlier. Yeah. As, as they got older... They, they kind of self-regulate themselves a little bit anyway. My yeah. son a little bit less, but like, uh, you know, he loves to have a Coke with his, with his yeah. meal. And, you know, I try to teach him like, you know, just, just have one, you know, yeah. because they're going to keep refilling it over and over again. The thing you don't want to do is say that Coke's bad. Right. That Coke's bad. Or, or you've done a bad thing or make them feel right. bad for eating a certain thing. Right. Yeah, I just try to teach him just, just regulate, just know what's going on. Yeah. Just be aware. Like let know, know what the hell's happening. Yeah. Because if you... I remember it, I was at a, a party one time. And I'm, I'm not going to say who it was. Um, they're a friend of mine, but, and they didn't do it on purpose, but they were referring, they were using fat-free cheese mm. and they were, they, they were like, they told their daughter, fat-free cheese, go have, oh. go have the, go have the, you're going to have the bad cheese. <laughs> like, don't say that. Yeah. Like, don't refer to food as bad or good. Like refer to what it is. Well, honey, you're just going to have the regular cheese. Okay. All right. All right. Cause she's not, like, you know, this kid is like skin and bones. Like it doesn't matter. Right. They, but if they hear I'm having the bad cheese, well, then they're going to grow up thinking that is bad, that fat is bad or that, you know, like that sort of stuff. And you don't want to create those kinds of associations. Right. This stuff, this stuff messes people up. People <laughs> don't realize this. This stuff messes people up. It really there are does. people who are very, very, like I've worked with people who are intelligent, top of their field MDs who have eating disorders. Mm. Because, and even though they know better, because you can't, once something gets crossed up in here, yeah, it's, it's hard. hard to undo. It is. It is. And, and I think, you know, it's, um, you know, people are just very sensitive to it. Like it's a hard thing to even talk about. Yep. You know, somebody doesn't want to be like, Hey, I'm fat. I need to make some changes. You would have no idea how many top level people that I've worked with who I've never said that I worked with me and who never admitted that they worked with me because they had such bad eating disorder. And I'm not trying to say I'm like a therapist or yeah, eating yeah. disorder specialist or anything they like that. They end up being one kind of, yeah. But, but I mean, just trying to unfuck their minds from what they had been told from previous coaches and throughout the course of their life. Like mm -hmm. some people have such a distorted view of nutrition and food. It's just, it's really tough. You know, it's really, really tough. Um, and, you know, I keep client stuff pretty confidential, but I mean, I've worked with people who had millions and millions of followers who, you know, looked on the surface like they would have the life everybody wanted. And these people were like prisoners in their own yeah. mind, you know, and had no quality of life. That's, yeah, it's, it's pretty nuts. But, you know, food is something that is, is, you know, has to be part of every day, right? It's like when somebody drinks or somebody does drugs, um, they can go to therapy for it and they can do all kinds of things. And we don't really have a protocol for food in the same way. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds pretty bleak, but I think we're actually, I think things will get better. You're in a much different spot than you were, uh, the first, the first time I uh, had you on the podcast. You mm -hmm. know, I think you were a little bit more, uh, 
you know, you were still open because I remember, you know, in speaking to you, you know, a lot of friends were like, oh, you talked to that asshole Lane Norton. I, I, don't, <laughs> I didn't know asshole was associated. I thought PhD or doctor was associated with him, but. Pretty huge dick. Yeah. Pretty they, sure that's what it stands for. They, they, that's right. Literally and figuratively. That's right. <laughs> but anyway, uh, they would always, they, they would always say, uh, you know, oh, you know, was he, you know, talking about flexible dieting or whatever? But I was like, actually, no, he was. He was very open, but you see even more open now than you were then. Yeah. Well, I think life has a way of humbling you. Yeah. You know? So yeah. you get too big for your britches and you start to learn, oh, you didn't know as much as you thought about that. And, you know, like, like digging through the research more and more. I mean, you talked about, you know, it's probably a little bit your fault, probably a little bit environment, probably a little bit genetics, obesity, you know. I used to be like, it's your fault. If you're fat, that's your fault. Stop eating. Just stop eating. <laughs> Put the fork down, asshole, you know. And then you start to get into it a little more and you hear people's story of how they kind of overate and how yeah. they got to there. And you realize, man, yeah, yeah, it, they did make a decision, but it, life's complicated. You definitely don't. So, so from your perspective, you don't think that it's one thing. Like, uh, like someone like. I think it can be one thing. Right, I mean, I okay. think if you're somebody who eats 200, 300 grams of sugar a day, well, then you're probably going to be overweight right. or obese just through pure calorie. If you eat, you know, a tub of peanut butter every day, you're probably going to be overweight because, yeah. but. But I think that in general, if we look at what can cause it, I think it's very highly multifactorial. Yeah. You know? And um, I think we need to be open to the idea that maybe, you know, let's not make the type one error and assume that just because something worked for us, it's best for everybody. And let's not also make the other error that because something works for most people, it should work for everybody. Mm. Let's, let's be open-minded enough that we're not closed off to either one. We got a few questions over there. Yeah, from right behind me. Uh, Joey's asking, <laughs> do you think it's uh, like a, a problem with like over-tracking your macros and stuff? So I think if you're somebody who uh, tends to have kind of that obsessive compulsive type uh, style mm -hmm. that you can become uh, problematic with tracking macros. I mean, I've had people go, oh, I, well, I, I went over by three grams of carbohydrate. I'm like, stop. Like that's, that's nothing. You know, right. like that's, that's, a, that's a spit. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, and in fact, food labels aren't even that accurate that you can be that close. So for somebody like that trying to, but that's tough because they're going to be obsessive with something. Like if they were trying to do like low carb, they'd become obsessive about you low carb. Like you can't coach somebody out of their own personality. So that's something way. where I just try to get them to, 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 if I can get them into their logic brain and out of their that, that brain at least a relax while. a little bit on it you know like um yeah it's it's usually you can talk to somebody and say okay well like you've got this little bit of buffer you know like don't worry about hitting me exactly try to get within five grams of each and be consistent mm -hmm. and some people i can i can get them to do that uh but i think you know if somebody's not going to compete or is in the off season the the goal is to get everybody more towards an intuitive style of eating like I don't expect people to like friggin' take a scale to a restaurant every day of their life or every I've time they go that. out to eat, you know? <laughs> like if you're in contest prep, that's one thing, right. you know? But if you're in the off season, like, I mean, I get, well, <laughs> I don't judge because, you know, I had, I had a client um, and she just really liked being lean in the off season. She's like, I know it's going to take more sacrifice. I know I'm not going to be able to go out to eat as much, but this is what I like. I like being lean and uh, this is what makes me happy. And I'm like, who am I to judge her for that? If that's what makes her happy, then hey, like, right. it may not make me happy, but who am I to judge that? So, but I, yes, you can have it to where it's too, too much, mm -hmm. right? Uh, and, but that's more of a conversation of trying to help somebody understand 
And sometimes tracking macros isn't best for everybody. I've, I've had people where I've like, we need to stop tracking. Mm-hmm. Or I've had people just track protein and calories, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. But you can definitely get hyper obsessive about it. Gotcha. Uh, high intensity versus high volume for fat loss. High intensity versus high volume, like weight like, training? Yeah, yeah, Like uh, just meaning like do a oh, hit like, versus a list, that type of thing. I mean, I think what the research says pretty conclusively right now. Oh, for cardio. Right. I'm, I'm, I, they didn't specify, but let's They're okay. probably talking about cardio. Yeah, let's go with okay, cardio. Okay, let's go with cardio. Mm-hmm. So again, this is something where I've kind of come back towards the middle. I, when I started out, I was a bro and I was, oh, you just do walking, don't do any high intensity to burn muscle. And then we had a little bit of data that suggested maybe high intensity was better. I was like, oh, I'll do all high intensity, no less. You'll lose muscle. And now I'm kind of, I think that high intensity, if you're looking at per unit of time, high intensity wins 100%. The problem with high intensity is it's pretty damn taxing. It's hard to recover from. Yeah. So if you, you now if you're, so I don't really have many people who do more than two or three sessions of high intensity a week, absolute max, because it's hard to recover from enough to get to do well your weight training sessions. It doesn't right? take very long to recover from a walk. I think what the data says mm-hmm. is that you're probably, if you're looking to maintain as much muscle as possible, you kind of want to go one or two ends of the spectrum. You either go pretty low intensity and just easy and you do it for a while, or you do high intensity for a short period of time. The middle moderate, like jogging, that sort of thing, especially because of the eccentric loading of jogging, probably not the best thing for for physique and muscle uh retention so i would say like for most people if you're fat loss in general probably the majority is going to be some low intensity cardio with a session or two of like really high intensity intervals sprinkled in there of what you can recover from yeah a lot of people that run don't have great physiques unless they're sprinters right like you said with holly Mm -hmm. yeah now part of that is were they great sprinters because they had a lot of muscle mass or did they have a lot of muscle mass because they're great sprinters? Yeah, what the, hell, what the hell came first? Chick- yeah, and then, chicken or the egg. Yeah, and that's the same thing with like surfing or beach volleyball. Like are those people, yeah. you know, were they, are they in shape because of that or are they? Genetically selected. For <laughs> yeah. It's probably a little bit of both. Yeah. yeah. Artificial sweeteners. I give my daughter sparkling flavored water because uh-huh. it's better than soda in my opinion. Uh-huh. Am I giving her poison? No. Yeah. Um the, the research data, and people will, I'm sure people on this podcast will go, it makes formaldehyde. <laughs> uh, it does. You also get 10 times more formaldehyde in a glass of tomato juice. So um, dosage makes the poison. Um, the, all the research data we have suggests that things like aspartame, sucralose, to get an amount that would cause side effects, you would actually drown from the diet soda from the fluid first. Like you would actually <laughs> deplete your electrolytes and die from that first. Um, that being said, there is some new research that suggests it may alter your gut microflora. Now, people have taken that and said, oh, that's going to mess you up. That's going to screw mm-hmm. you up. We don't know if that's a bad thing. Yeah. We just know that it alters it. So I'm going to wait to pass judgment on that until right. we get more data on what that. about just in terms of like uh taste like uh you know you drink something like crystal light um do you think that might elicit a a, a bad response in some way or do you think it's uh, it definitely doesn't elicit an insulin response that's pretty conclusive right um because and here's how you know that it doesn't because if it did every time you drink a diet soda you would go hypoglycemic mm-hmm. because if your insulin went up right. and there's no carbohydrate yeah your blood sugar is going to go down or what it says is that there's a corresponding release of glucagon. Glucagon acts in opposition to insulin. And so you don't need to worry because glucagon is opposing it. Um, now, as far as like cravings and stuff, uh, some people, a small person of the population, yeah, it seems like if they get a little sweet, they keep wanting more. It might kick, kick For most people, like yeah. physiologically, it doesn't seem to do that. Yeah. Psychologically, maybe different. I think a good individual. idea too is just, uh, and I think you've mentioned this on the podcast before, but other people, um, 
you know, rather than subtracting, add, yeah. you know, add stuff to people's lives. So in yeah. a case of a kid, just teach them the importance of water. Yep. You know, hey, let's, let's, uh, yeah, you can have that, but let's drink some water, you know, yep. just things like that. That's great. How about hard gainers like me? I'm skinny. What am I, what am I supposed to be eating? More calories. Just in general? More calories, yeah. I well, mean, and you got to work out. And you got to work out, yeah. Otherwise, you just get fat. Oh. But, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you know, hard gainer is more about, well, uh, you know, people that just tend to have a higher resting metabolic rate. They they tend mm-hmm. to dissipate energy better. Um, yeah, it's, you know, you just, it's, it's hard to build muscle in an energy deficit. Um, you can, but it's more difficult. So trying right. to get yourself into a positive energy balance is going to be the most paramount thing. Obviously, making sure you're taking enough protein. Mm-hmm. Um but most people who are into lifting weights, they they usually eat enough protein. Right. Yeah. You know, people talk about high protein diets. It's, it's most people in fitness industry overconsume protein. Most other people underconsume it. Right, mm-hmm. right. And just real quick, I mean, spend as much or as little time as you want on uh, describing what reverse dieting actually is. God, you want to be here for three hours? I mean, that's why, that's why I, I left it up to <laughs> you. Like, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if I had to describe it in like a, a really quick thirty seconds, basically, the idea behind reverse dieting is to improve your metabolic rate while limiting fat gain. Okay. So people say, oh, I want to be on a diet that boosts my metabolism. No diet boosts your metabolism. Any diet that's calorically restrictive that causes you to lose fat will lower your metabolic rate. Otherwise you would just burn fat until you died. Okay. Your body adapts to dieting by lowering your metabolic rate through a variety of mechanisms. Um, We talked about earlier how at the end of a diet, you can set yourself up for actually gaining more fat cells. Um, so the idea of reverse dieting is to, instead of just eating what the fuck you want right after a diet, probably a really bad idea, um, a controlled addition of calories over time, um, not to not gain fat, but to limit fat gain, right? So to get your, to recover your metabolic rate, but hopefully with minimal fat regain, because if you, if you took you eating 1800 calories for, or 2000 calories, for example, to get down to 230 pounds or something, do you want to maintain 2,000 calories for the rest of your life? No. You're not going to have a high quality of life. So the idea is that you can hopefully restore your metabolic rate by adding calories in slowly, but not regain as much fat as you would if you just took them straight there. And right. I've, we don't have, there's no scientific studies on this yet that I know of, um, but I've just seen it with clients. There's, there's just so many basically times. like in short, there's a little bit of wiggle room with how many calories you're consuming yeah. when you're, when you're dieting and trying to lose fat in the ex- probably... In the extreme circumstance, I've seen somebody go from 170 grams of carbs a day to over 400 grams of carbs a day, and they lost a kilo during that time. Right. And this was over like a four or five month period. All right. Now, not everybody responds that way. I find there's a very differential response. And there is data to support that, that some people are more fat gain resistant post diet mm-hmm. than others. But I find that most people do better. Um, and even people who have just like a really slow metabolism through years of, of really poor dieting habits. Um, if you do kind of a, a slow addition of calories over time, hopefully to restore their metabolic rate back to normal, um, then they ha- then they're consuming more calories mm. to maintain their body weight. Hopefully, they can diet on more calories. Does that make sense? Yeah. So basically, it's a way to to restore your metabolic rate um, with minimal fat regain. Hopefully. Do you think you'll be uh, working on publishing a paper on reverse dieting? <sighs> If I make that a priority <laughs> right now, that's, that's the research Like going back into research studies isn't a priority. Um, but obviously like I'm very passionate about that and I would love to see research done on that. It'd be interesting just cause I, what I've seen with clients, it's so divergent in terms of the responses. A paper may not show much in terms of averages. 
Um, but individually I've, I've seen quite a bit and, you know, people have said, you know, law McDonald hates me and thinks I made the whole thing up and I'm a piece of shit. Um, but I made it up to make money and I said, well, if I was going to make something up to make money, hopefully I make something up that's a little bit more sexy other than, well, you might gain some fat and hopefully we can get your calories higher. Um, but you know, it's just what I've observed with working with clients. And I kind of came to, well, I can wait for a research study to come out on this in 10 years from now, maybe, Mm -hmm. or I can talk about it now. So if, people don't believe me or they, they think that it's not a useful tool, then that's fine. All I'm saying is it's an option and it's a tool in the toolbox. Mm-hmm. So I, I find it pretty useful for certain populations. Um, but for other people, not so much. So. Yeah. I've been telling people for quite some time, you know, mix it up a little bit, you know, go through periods of time where you're going to be restrictive, go through periods mm-hmm. of time where you're not. And actually like you, Restriction is a motherfucker on the body. It, it's tough. Like people don't realize like, like, like Mentally, your body, when you, when you calorically restrict, you probably, especially as a physique athlete, you need to spend more time in maintenance or a surplus than you do in a deficit. A deficit should be like a war. Get in, dominate, get out. All right. Don't do a sustained police state. All 10, right. <laughs> 10 weeks, 12 weeks. Yeah. I mean, depending. Well, even 24 weeks or something like that. But okay. with the idea that you are going to recover afterwards and get yourself out of that. Mm, recover. Right. Yeah. Um, cause that's very, especially if we're talking about getting show lean, that is fucking hard on the body. We see people who are competitors who burn out in a few years because they just put their body through the ringer mm. and not even with drugs, which is the dieting aspect of things. Uh, doctor, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of leave it on this mark. Um, guy yep. named, uh, uh, Dr. McLean mm-hmm. at university of Denver. He's done a lot of body fat regain studies. And he said, um, uh, the body's response to dieting is, uh, enormous, I'm going to paraphrase, enormously complex, saturated with redundancies and completely focused on restoring the body's depleted energy reserves. And any weight loss uh, kind of diet that we come up with has to account for this stuff. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you're just going to regain it all. And when you diet, it triggers your body's self-defense survival system. Your body doesn't... You probably don't give a shit if you got abs. It cares if you live long enough to pass on your genetic material. So it's going to do everything it can to keep you alive. And part of that's lowering your metabolic rate. Mm. So we all know people who've been on diets for long periods of time who they seem like they can't lose weight on low calories. (laughs) Right. That's kind of where this whole idea came from. Yeah, I've heard people kind of talk about you can't turn a uh, a basset hound into a greyhound. It's (laughs) just going to be a meciated basset hound. (laughs) Can't diet your way out of a bad metabolism. Yeah. All right, guys, that's all the time we got. This is Lane Norton. Lane, uh, tell tell us about these uh, books and some of the things you got going on to plug. I think you have a new app and stuff like that too, right? Is yeah, that- so no no app yet, but um, like uh, my workout builder on my site. Mm-hmm. So um, Andres and I, my, my powerlifting coach, we've created basically a way for people for about 12, 13 bucks a month. Uh, you subscribe to my site and you can get access to basically customized training programs that we've built that you can cool. customize to yourself and your needs. Um, and we have a bunch of different templates and we're going to be expanding that uh, for men, women, powerlifting, bodybuilding, bikini, figure, whatever. Um, so it's a great option for people who maybe want like science-based coaching but can't afford a coach for training. We now provide an option for that that's really affordable. So that's at biolane.com. And then uh, my, my prep book I talked about, which people ask me, well, if I'm not going to do a contest prep book, this book is great for anybody who just wants to learn how to set up a fat loss diet. 
Um, now it's there's extra chapters like peaking and tanning are and there, all that kind of stuff. Are there carbs in it? Because I'm not going to read it if there's carbs. <laughs> well, pages are technically carbohydrate. I think you know there is some carbs in there. In in the um, yeah in the actual paper. But we you know we we go through, you know, just down from a scientific perspective, it literally is a roadmap of if you want to do a show. How long to do it? How you want to diet? How to set up your diet? Should you do refeeds? Should you do diet breaks? How to peak? how to pose, how to like everything. We put everything into this 265 pages. And like the best feedback I got back was from other experts in the industry. Like, you know, Eric Helms said, this is the book that every competitor should own. Uh, so he Lee just, she said, holy shit, this thing <laughs> is comprehensive. Um, John uh, Meadows said, this is great for beginners, intermediate, advanced, whoever can learn from this. Uh, and John Romanello called it a, a what do you say? A value laden tomb. So that's, <laughs> You can get that at uh, contestprepbook.com. And um, I'm really proud of it. You know, you never get 100% glowing reviews, but I would say out of the, the thousands of people who have purchased it, we've only had a few people who weren't happy. And honestly, most of those people were, they were like, I didn't know this book was about contest prep. I was just buying a fat loss book. And it's like, it says contest prep on it. And there's somebody on stage on it. I, I don't know. It's probably from that eye doctor. <laughs> probably. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. So here. I'm real proud of that. Um, I think it's a great value uh, for what you get. Um, you can pretty much teach how to coach yourself um, if you can't afford a coach and it's 50 bucks. So um, awesome. you can get that at contestprepbook.com. And yeah, I'm just super excited about those two things uh, going on because those are things we've been working on real hard for the last yeah. few months. Yeah. Awesome, man. No, I was just going to say, we had like, you know, the, the trolls will come out early on Sweet. and then they'll fade away. But just, I mean, every interaction I've had with you and I want people to know this, like today you gave me a big old hug. You've been <laughs> nothing but the nicest person and you've never given me bullshit. So just for everyone listening, dude, fuck, Lane's the shit, dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, if you... <laughs> well, they keep having me back out. So I must, yeah. either I give really good blowjobs or, uh, you know, I'm an all right guy. No, I it's invited you out because <laughs> I want to learn how to have bad squat form and hurt my back <laughs> and, over, and over train. Oh, see, now careful. You're, you're edging on being funny, but also triggering me. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. All right, guys. That's all the time we got. Strength is never weakness. Weakness is never strength. Bye.